the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. <clears throat> All right, it's a Monday. It's a new week and a new day for Democrats who just hope beyond hope that they're going to be able to get the president. Man, I cannot. I've not seen this kind of of stuff in my lifetime. Well, I take it back. One time during the Clinton administration, and they really had him on the wall because they had him for perjury. But they didn't have the, you know, didn't have the uh, testicular fortitude to go Not for Not to it. mention obstruction of justice, yes. witness tampering. Yeah, they had it the all. Things that you or I would go to jail for. Yeah. But what they got Trump for, evidently, and what they're, they're kind of hinting at, <laughs> is nothing that happened while he was, while he's president. All the, I just spent uh, time mentioning happen while clinton was in office uh there's probably still stains on the rug from the oval (laughs) office but the bottom line what is that uh, they're talking about uh, he 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 uh, gave money to these uh women to shut up and uh, when they decided not to shut up now they're trying to say it's some in in some way is um A terrible, terrible thing, although we were just watching uh, the news, and I don't know who that was that was talking. It looked like on— Gerald Nadler, I think, was on just before we came on. And he's talking, and he's saying, well, it's impeachable, but, you know, it's really weak, but it is in front of the Democrats, and there's some Democrats, they don't care what they have. They just want to go for it. You think they'll go for it it if it's true? Absolutely. They've been wanting for 20 years to get do revenge. Do you think they'll be able to do it? I don't think they'll ever get them convicted. I think that it's not at all unlikely that they'll pass articles of impeachment because we have a majority of uh, leftist whack jobs in the House now, and yeah, but all you got to do is organize them. Uh, Carl, course, Kimball, big... Carl Kimball's here as well. And all I would say, Carl, is there's still a group of Democrats in the House they, they would have to get, is it a majority vote or is it a supermajority vote to be able to do to do this? I think they need a supermajority in the House in order to impeach, but they only need a simple majority in the Senate to convict. Well, they'll not get it in the Senate. I think it's two-thirds and half. No, I, I don't think it'll ever happen. Well, they'll not get it in the Senate. I don't think they can get a supermajority in the House. There's not a Republican that would vote to impeach the president. You, be, and you I think, think so. I would think that there's several Democrats that would vote not to impeach the president. <clears throat> well, the smart ones maybe, because if you look at <laughs> if you look at how the impeachment worked out for the Republicans in 1998, I don't think you'll find very many Republicans. But even though Bill Clinton was guilty of sin, even though they had him dead to rights. I don't think you can find a Republican who will say that, gee, that was a great idea. It worked out well for us to try and get old slippery Bill 
pinned to the wall. You know, I'd like to sit sit down, <clears throat> and maybe I'll try to see if I can get this to happen. I don't. I'm not promising this. Don't take this as a promise. All right, but I will put in a request to see if the governor will come on and talk a little history with us and say whether he thinks that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. That would be interesting. I I doubt if there are very many people around today who have more hands-on experience in dealing with impeachment than Governor Hutchinson. That's right, because he led the the impeachment effort. uh, He was one of the house managers, as they're called. He was uh, the point man for the prosecution. And, yeah, I'd love to hear what Governor Asa has to say about that today. Uh, I kind of felt like he was on the side of righteousness in 1998. But um, I'm not sure it did him any good. Um, I mean, sometimes you can be right and push forward and still lose in the end. And we kind of lost in the end when you go to the next election. Well, you know, they did win the next election barely, but they they just sort of were scraping by. They went from a position of considerable strength in the 90s where they had pretty much everything except the presidency. And then they got the presidency and lost the Senate temporarily mm-hmm. thanks to jumping Jim Jeffords. Yeah. So it was, and they just, you know, it was by a few dozen votes that they won the election in 2000. So it's hard to say that it was a positive thing for them. Uh, a lot of people are going to have a backlash, rightly or wrongly. I think there's going to be a lot of backlash if they try to. Because after all, you know, impeachment is a last resort. Our Constitution was set up to give impeachment to the Congress as a last resort to put an end to a president who was out of control and who was governing outside of the constitutional framework and outside of uh, the popular will. Now, I don't think that there's any way that you can say that President Trump has been governing outside of the popular will. The things that he's Mm -hmm. fighting with the Democrats so far unsuccessfully to try to get done, like to take control of the borders and build the wall, that's the reason he got elected in the first place is because a a very strong plurality, at least, of those who cared enough to vote uh, went out and voted for Trump, I think, in a large degree because they were concerned about the border. They were concerned about the porousness of of our borders and and the loss of control. People come in and say, you get caught sneaking into the country, and they say, here's a ticket, show up in court in six months, okay, and you never see them again. I mean, it's like not having any border security at all. And uh, I think that a lot of the things he's doing in lowering taxes, I think he accommodated the public will in trying to get a control on immigration and trying to limit the number of terrorists who can sneak in through our very crazy and uncontrolled uh, immigration system. I think he was following the public will. I think the public, if you ask the public to take a hand in deciding it, I think that they would find things like birthright citizenship, Mm -hmm. uh, lottery visas, and chain migration to be detrimental to the long-term interests of the United States and things that should be done away with. Well, he's talked a good game, but of course, you know, and he had he had the Congress and he should have got more done in the first two years because I don't think he'll get anything done in the next two years of substance because the House won't let him. So then my question would be, and maybe we can, let's, let's open up the phone lines and ask people what they think. 
823-0965. Impeach or not to impeach on the House side? <coughs> well, I can I can see where you lose if you impeach, <laughs> and I can see you lose if you don't impeach because <laughs> those uh, those new congressmen and women that came in that are on the far left. Oh, they're all gung ho. All all of those voters go away if you don't impeach. They they're not going to give you a free ride. They're they're so adamantly, you know, stuck on this that it will be very interesting. I'm just glad this is Nancy Pelosi's dilemma yes, that we're it talking is. about right now. Cuz Nancy, I'm I'm sure that Nancy would dearly dearly love to see number 44 impeached, but uh, 45, I guess. 45. Yeah, I'd like, they'd like to see him impeached. But on the other hand, she also takes a long, and you got to give Nancy Pelosi, I guess, a lot of credit for being a long-term strategist and, and fundraiser for her party. And she's interested in the long-term future of her party because she'd like to see that bunch have a stranglehold on our politics the way they did for most of our lifetimes. They, yes. <laughs> it's, it's been a relatively recent phenomenon, you know, just in the, in the last half of our lifetimes that the Republicans have shown hardly any fight at all congressionally. And, and she'd like to see that as permanently reversed as possible. And I think that she sees that if and, – and Trump – for all of his faults and for all of the aggravating things about him, uh, he can be pretty clever, especially when it comes to using the media. You know, the way he gives people nicknames and picks on people, it's horribly unpresidential. It, it makes me uncomfortable that the president acts with so little dignity sometimes. But, boy, he's so effective at tarring his opponents. And when Maxine Waters becomes the upfront face of the Democrat Party, it bodes very well for Trump in 2020. Oh, yeah. And, and, and she's in charge of the banking committee now. She's the one that's been going around screaming, impeach 45, impeach 45. That's what she's been at, saying. At every event, at every event. And um, I don't know if Nancy will be able to resist those folks or not, because that's going to be a pretty strong wing of their party in the next two years. And that's, you know, if I were a Democrat— I could see it's a lose-lose situation that mm-hmm. we're facing because if you do impeach the president and it's over something minute, I mean absolutely <coughs> minute. You mean like something that, that Barack Obama didn't got a fine for? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And then you turn around and those uh, Trump voters that had a little buyer's remorse because mm-hmm. of how his character is, how will they vote again then? You know, if they see a party that says, we got to get rid of the tax cuts, we've got to get rid of this. And we need open borders. Yeah. And we need more, Mm -hmm. we need more, uh, you know, illegals coming in without anybody trying to stop them. I'm just saying, I think there's more people on the other side that will vote against you than the people on the side that you just brought in that will vote for you. I just think that the Democrats have made a bed that's going to be awful messy. Well, we're seeing one of the reasons why the Founding Fathers wisely did not give us a direct democracy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, and we're we're going to have to fight through a, a very difficult period the next two years, whether you're for or against Trump. It's going to be a very interesting Next couple of years, I'm afraid. Uh, one of the things when it comes to impeachment that I think gets most misunderstood 
is the constitutional term, high crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah, there, number one, there is no definition of well, high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, not in the Constitution. Now, now, for those who are interested in this, uh, I'd like to refer them to one of my favorite books on the subject I ever read. Okay. And uh, that was Ann Coulter's very first book. came out about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm when Bill Clinton had not yet been impeached, but when there was a rising swell of disgust at the way he'd abused his office. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a book entitled High Crimes and Misdemeanors. And in it, she goes into the history uh, and, and talks about why they chose those particular terms of art. And uh, it's, not real specific for a reason, because essentially you've heard the the liberal justices of the Supreme Court says the Constitution means what we say it means. Right, right. Well, this is the legislative branch equivalent. High crimes and misdemeanors means whatever the House of Representatives and the Senate agree that it means. And what enough voters agree with you on. Well, yeah, the voters don't really have to, except that these people depend for their jobs on being able to get reelected. That's right. And if they take a position that's too unpopular with their voters, they'll pay for it in the next election and know it, which I I think that's one of the reasons you saw so many people like our governor's brother was in the Senate at the time. And like practically – well, not practically every – like every one of the senators, he went down and signed the pledge with a special commemorative pen that he was able to keep as a souvenir of the occasion and uh, tim hutchinson went down with his special ceremonial pen he was going to get to keep stood mm-hmm. in, stood in front of chief justice uh, rehnquist at the time and signed the pledge that he would do impartial justice in the case of bill clinton under the constitution um you know, you couldn't anymore get him for perjury for signing that and then voting to let the guy go. Then, then you could get Clinton on high crimes and misdemeanors because it's 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 a matter of power in which you can get away with in a way. And and I think that I think that Tim felt, and this is just my guess, but I think he felt that his constituents were not going to put up with him voting to take their hometown boy out of office, and he still entertained hopes of being reelected. Of course, he got into his own personal problems that made any opposition to Clinton seem extremely hypocritical at the time, and that's why Tim lost his seat. But there were a lot of senators. And why Pryor went in. Oh, Lord help us. Thank goodness we're rid of that. Uh, when, when, Pryor, <laughs> when Pryor was in uh, uh, the state legislature, you know, they run these – things in the democrat gazette where they rate legislators yes. and these are the best most effective legislators right. they they classified prior when he was in the state legislature as furniture well were we we uh he was he was uh was he attorney general when we were trying to get the um he was the attorney general who had to sign off on our 2002 yeah food tax removal and rewrote it so that the voters couldn't tell whether they were voting for or against it well you know there were a lot of things to to do with that i don't know how much that had to do with the final problem but uh getting back to the impeachment that when all those senators went down and signed that they were going to do impartial justice under the law right I, i don't know if any of them did uh, some of them, I'm sure, tried to follow their conscience. But I think they were essentially all making a political calculation. Is it going to help me or is it going to hurt me 
or is it going to help my party or is it going to hurt my party if I vote for or against impeachment? Don't you think that's how they always vote? Of course. And that's why I say that high crimes and misdemeanors essentially means whatever the House and the Senate can agree on it meaning. All right. Got to get a break in. Let's do that. Carl Kimball is my uh, special guest today. I love having Carl in. He and I, what you're listening to right now is, <laughs> is if Carl and I were at lunch and we were talking back and forth about this. We'll, uh, we'll continue that conversation. We want you to get involved in it, too. 823-0965. 823-0965. It is the Dave Ellswick Show right here at 101.1 FM, <coughs> The Answer. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we got about three minutes before we get to the news. We are asking a question of you. 501-823-0965. That's the number to call in. 501-823-0965. Now, typically, I just uh, leave the lines open. If you call and you talk to today, it would be Zach or you talk to Russ. Uh, they'll get you set up uh, because my phones are always usually open. However, today I'm going to um, go out of my way to say the phones are open. I'd really like to hear what you have to say about uh, all of this talk coming out of the House right now. And basically it's the House uh, that they think that they're going to impeach, you know, President Trump. Do you think it's going to actually happen? And if it does, what do you think the results will be? What do you think, especially in those states where Democrats got elected, you know, by a hair's breadth? I mean, that's what we're literally talking about here. And, you know, if a few of those races, for instance, out in California, which had been red areas like Orange County and things of that uh, nature, had stayed the way they were, we'd still have control of the House right now, kind of the way that the Democrats have control of it. You know, if you blink, you miss it. <laughs> it's that kind of control right now. But if you just have one seat more than the other party has, then the, the bottom line is this. You get to name all the committee men. You get to name, you know, you got control of, you know, what, uh, you know, what kind of uh, bills people want to file and run and what you're going to hear and what you're going to table and the whole nine yards. That's a lot of power right there. You know what I think is interesting, Dave, is that uh, one of the Democrats that won overwhelmingly in an overwhelmingly Democrat area, uh, the most prominent face of the freshman class. Oh, Cortez. I'm so Ocasio-Cortez. I don't recall her having talked about impeachment at all. Do you? No. I think she is too interested in pushing her socialist agenda. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and while she comes across as pretty stupid for the most part <laughs> – Pardon my being blunt. It's true, but, but she I mean, it's she true. has very little understanding of, of economics or nope. government or anything nope. else. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, it may be that she's smart enough to know that getting distracted on the impeachment thing means she's going to get zero anywhere on pushing the social agenda that she's trying to push. Of course, as long as the Republicans have the Senate, none of that stuff's going to get through actually to become law anyway, I don't think. Uh, on on this whole matter of impeachment, I'll be surprised if they actually – I know they're going to be trying because there are too many of them that want to do it. But I'll be surprised if you get impeached. I really will. I just think that they play a – they're playing a game of chicken. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They really are. They're playing a game of chicken. I mean, the thing to do is to get the votes of the people to overturn the situation that you don't want. That's how we do it in this country. Yeah. And, and a lot of people are going to deeply resent that their vote's going to be negated by the radicals in Congress trying to undo the 2016 election, which is what they've spent the last two years trying mightily to do by hook or by crook. Yeah, stay tuned. we got more to talk about. 823-0965. Call in. Get, part of, get on with the conversation here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. 823-0965. Hey, look, I know it's a heavy subject to start the week <laughs> off with. Okay, I know it is. It, But it's timely. It it is one that we need to talk about, though. Do you believe the Democrats in the House are going to try to uh, pass articles of impeachment against uh, President Trump? Do you think they'll succeed? And what do you think the results will be? I can tell you, it'll stop right there. It'll go to the Senate, be shot down, just like Clinton was. What happened to Clinton? It will be just nothing but a and that was a, flaming that was a Republican Senate that could not convict Clinton. Yeah, and so I think the chances of a Republican Senate convicting a Republican president on such thin gruel yeah. as they've come up with so far, because so far all they've really come up with is the kind of stuff that's happened every election cycle and has been a fine and it's over with, and most people never even hear about it, didn't even make the papers. And how many of the people who served as presidents in this country didn't have women on the side? Just asking. Just asking. You know, I don't think I don't I don't know anybody that said George H. W. had any on the side. They uh, there's been stories, but nothing ever proven. I know that I know that Ike had an overseas mistress when he was in the European yeah. Theater of Operations. Yeah, his, his, his never secretary. Heard, never heard any rumors like that about Truman. Mm-hmm. I, I know that uh, uh, FDR had his mistress with him when he expired in Warm Streams, Georgia. Of course, you know, he and Eleanor probably never really been much of an item anyway. That but, may have been true. But uh, JFK, of course, was notorious. But the news, He was a they huge They kept it suppressed. Like, Ellen, I talked to Ellen Thomas over uh, – Helen Thomas? Yeah, Helen Thomas. The former dean of the – The UPI. Uh, well, UPI gal, yeah. yeah over, the, uh, over lunch one time. That must and, have been interesting. And we, yeah, we talked about JFK. And she said – the whole press corps knew about the nude probably bathing conni- times and they connived know, in helping him cover it. You up. know, in in the uh, in the you know presidential pool. That's why the presidential pool went the way of the dodo bird after uh, President Kennedy was <laughs> was uh, assassinated. Now, I, I never heard any any infidelity rumors about Nixon. Never heard any about Reagan. No, I never heard anything about Reagan. That's the truth. Of course, Reagan was the first divorcee to be president. But as he used to say, I didn't divorce her. She divorced me. Yeah, that's right. Then you had, of course, Johnson. Johnson was notorious. He was a rue. Yeah. I mean, he wanted to show everybody his appendix scar. (laughs) Warren Harding had quite the reputation, too. He had 
closet affairs in the White House, apparently on a regular basis. Yeah, so we we can go through you know everybody. I, I don't know if uh, it's unsavory. Yeah, it's, it's a bad part of our history. But the bottom line, JFK was probably the worst. You know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. That's not to say that you should forgive real sins against the people but the yeah. thing is you know they're so hard up to stop what trump's trying to do that they're ready to crucify him for things that if a democrat did it it's oh it's his personal life it doesn't affect the way it's he about governs. sex how many times did we oh, hear that during clinton's it doesn't term? affect his job that's right it was just all about sex i still think the funniest thing about the Clinton Library, and I never would have set foot in it if I didn't have a chance to go through for free. But <laughs> but but when I was I haven't gone through well, it yet. Well, when I was president of the Lions Club, they had their convention in Little Rock, and that was part of the deal. It was all the presidents of the Lions Clubs oh, could Lord. go for free. I said, well, I, I, just so I can say I've seen it, you know. I go yeah. and and the funniest thing was they had a, a a little alcove about the Lewinsky scandal and impeachment, and the whole part of this huge trailer down there that was dedicated to impeachment and Lewinsky was about a quarter of the size of this room and the title on it was The Fight to Save the Constitution. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. But Ellen, you know, Helen said this. She said the reason nobody knew in the public about JFK mm-hmm. is that the uh, the press corps yeah, they didn't want to didn't want to report they on it. They loved him. They thought that they they venerated him. Yeah, I still they do. They worshipped him. They want they want those days to come back again. Yeah, oh yeah. They want another Camelot. Which is, they thought they had it with Obama. Which is ironic because in some ways Kennedy was a guy, if a guy with his platform and his principles was running for president as a Democrat today, he'd never make it out of the no, primaries. No, he would never. Yeah, you he are wanted, exactly he wanted, right. He wanted to cut taxes and have a strong defense mm-hmm. and be very forward-leaning uh, mm-hmm. on technology, the moonshot. And he all. was very, very Hawking. adamant against the Russians. Yeah, yeah. I mean – the Red Scare was in full swing when he was in the White House. Well, wasn't was it when he was in the White House that the Berlin Wall was put up? No, that, it was, no, it was earlier than that. Yeah, it was earlier. It was earlier than that. That would have been during, uh, uh, during Eisenhower. Yeah, yeah. That it was going up, but yeah, I. But they covered for him. Well, yeah, they they covered for him and by the, the Cuban Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the Bay of Pigs. All, that was all on him, man. That wasn't on everybody else. He's the one who caused all those people to die and end up in prison in Cuba because yeah. he decided. I guess I told you my I'm, father. I'm my father-in-law's out. last case as a Havana lawyer was defending the leaders that were captured at the Bay of Pigs. Yeah, they didn't have much of a chance, did they? No, they did not. But he said. <laughs> he said that they said I knew the guy who was my friend. He, he didn't have anybody that was willing to stand up with him in court. So I did. Wow. The old man had guts. That sounds like that sounds like Sam Adams taking yeah. on uh, yeah. some British guys. Well, Sam Adams was defending the British guys that were accused of murder in the Boston Massacre and yeah. got them off. Yes, he did, because they were under duress when they mm-hmm. fired. Mm-hmm. They were protecting themselves, self-defense. I think that's what Sam Adams was able to prove. And he made an interesting point in American history that sometimes – the guys you don't like 
don't deserve to have the force of the law brought down on them. That's some good things to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it's good things to keep in mind. And, and you know, we've, we've fought like cats and dogs over politics and policy. It's never been the practice to use the high crimes and misdemeanors to try and undo an election purely because of political disagreements. Uh, in the case, they were kind in 68, that is in, or 67, that is in 1867, when Andrew Johnson was impeached. Uh, there was no doubt that there was a lot of politics behind that. But essentially what they'd done is they'd passed a law to prevent him from firing cabinet members. Mm-hmm. It was a law of dubious constitutionality, but he went ahead and fired a cabinet member, and then they used that as the excuse for impeaching uh, Andrew Johnson. And... It, it was mostly over politics, and they couldn't get the impeachment through the Senate. He ended up falling one, one vote. vote short of mm-hmm. being able to convict him in the Senate. The guy was going to be gone in a year anyway. He was a lame duck who'd, and apparently a pretty obnoxious guy and, and a drunk. So, you know, they were about to be rid of him anyway. And for the sake of the Constitution, the, the senator from Maine that wrote the famous book, I can't remember the senator from Maine. He's, he's one of the chapters in Kennedy's Profiles and Courage who did that vote. Uh, you know, he was trying – he had more of a long view of what was good for the country. Now, we didn't have another threat of impeachment again for 100 years. And for Nixon, it was not because of their policy differences with him. He be- he became an abettor of covering up actual crimes. Mm-hmm. Nixon was not responsible personally for the actual crimes that led to his resignation. Yeah, he didn't send Liddy and those guys out to break in. No, but but John, um, um, his his secretary, of, his attorney general, John. Up, um, senior moment. Yeah, same way with me no, all of a sudden. But the I guy, his, his campaign manager was his attorney general, and he's the guy that sent the plumbers out to burgle the uh, white or uh, burgle the uh, Watergate. Eight. And and but but he did get involved personally in trying to cover up that crime, and and that was what had him on the verge of being impeached when Republican senators like Barry Goldwater went to him and said, "Look, you're caught red-handed." You're going to be impeached. You're not going to survive it. Do the country a favor and resign now. And that's why we got our only presidential resignation. And let Ford take over yeah. because Spiro Agnew had already had to resign. Yeah, Spiro was already gone. And, and, and the new amendment, what is the 20, 26th Amendment, the one that set the succession so that you appoint a vice president if the vice president's gone. So, yeah, Ford was the only president of the United States who was never elected president or vice president. That's right of the United States. That was a very difficult time in, in our country's history. I'd hate for us to go through that again. Uh, it was it was not a good thing for the country. I wonder if they'll come after Mike Pence, too. You know, Mike Pence... Because you know who would be the, another, the third person. Uh, be Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, that's what uh, I'm assuming, saying. Assuming that they you know, put her in instead of Ocasio-Cortez or somebody. Oh. Not that I'm saying that oh, that's going to happen. Oh, Lord have mercy. But, you know, yeah. there are a lot of people that don't want Nancy, but Nancy's going to be it, I'm pretty sure. And, uh, yeah, she'd be third in line for the presidency. Yes, she would be. Getting rid of Trump, you'd get Pence, who's, I think, a good man and who's got very conservative principles. As and far as I know from him, he and, does. And he's been a very effective governor as well as an outstanding senator. Yep. 
So, and a great congressman. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was your congressman once upon a time. He was in, in Indiana. He mm-hmm. sure was. I, he's a personal friend, in fact. We both worked at the same radio station. Oh, really? I was yeah. thinking that you said that you'd met him. At WIBC, we worked together. He was on the the uh, Indiana Radio Network. I was on uh, in the evening, and we'd spend uh, at least 30 minutes uh, before both of us were going on to sit around and just talk and make Clinton jokes. <laughs> which was pretty easy to do to be at, the, at that well, you time. Know, if I just veer a little bit off topic here, since we're talking about about presidents, uh, you know, during the great fanfare of accolades for the late President George H. W. Bush, they I heard it said again and again that he was the best one-term president that we've ever had. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, he, he did some remarkable things in foreign policy. He was incredibly successful. That's who I would he give was him. Not, he was not always right. He, no. he told the Ukrainians that they should give Mr. Gorbachev some more time and not be trying to secede from the Soviet Union. So that was what they call the Chicken Kiev speech. But, you know, given, given George Bush a lot of credit for what he did accomplish in his one term, saving mm-hmm. Kuwait from Saddam Hussein and so forth. But I don't see how you can possibly say he is the best one term president when in James Knox Polk from Tennessee, we had a guy that ran for president promised that if he was elected president, we were going to annex Oregon and Texas into the United States. He served one term. We annexed Oregon and Texas into the United States, plus California and Arizona, New Mexico. One third of the continental United the States. Expansion. Yeah, one third of the continental United States was added during his yes. term. I don't see. And, and then at the end of his term, he said, "Okay, I've fulfilled my campaign promises. That's enough." And he didn't run for a second term. Mm -hmm. Now, that, to me, is the best one-term president we've ever had, with all due respect to George H.W. The one thing that I learned about uh, Bush that I did not know is that he played in the first two College World Series. Didn't know it was the first, but I knew he'd been a World Series winning uh, third baseman, I think it was. When he was in Yale, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he he, he went to the World Series, College World Series, twice. And I thought that was very interesting. The man led a very interesting life, no doubt about it, from being a youngest uh, fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy to being a 90-year-old parachutist. He, yeah. he had an interesting and, and uh, adventuresome, adventuresome life. life. He did. He really did. He was a good servant of the public, but he was not that good at getting elected. Outside of the 7th District of Texas, he only won one election. Amazing, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he should have won the second one. Except for a Ferengi he, by the name of Hero. Well, and he hadn't just said no new taxes and then went and, and, against it. And, 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 you know, he had said in the 88 convention, he said, the Democrats are going to ask me to raise taxes, and I'll say no. And they'll ask me again, and I'll say no. And they'll ask me again, and I'll say read my lips. Well, you know, the Democrats kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I guess, yeah, I know the excuse is that he wanted to get them to go along with mm-hmm. him on, on the Kuwait war. Yeah. And that was kind of important, and it's easy to second-guess now. But essentially, they they log-rolled him because that raising the taxes caused a temporary dip in the economy. It wasn't real bad, but the economy did go down just in time for the 1992 election. You had uh, Bill Clinton and Al Gore going around saying it was the worst economy in the last 50 years, which, yeah. which not only was not true, but 
because, you know, the information from economics always lags. And so the economy was actually improving by the time of the election, but people hadn't really felt it in their pocketbooks yet. And and, and so the the whole thing. Then that, you had Ross Perot. Yeah. Ross, Ross really threw the, was the monkey wrench in it. Oh, yeah. 18% of the vote. My dear late parents who were so disgusted with Bush raising taxes in 92 voted for Ross Perot, mm-hmm. and they both regretted it for the rest of their lives. So they, I like to call, I call him the yeah. Ferengi because yeah, he, he looked deep space nine. <laughs> he looked like a Ferengi with those big old ears sticking yeah, out Yeah, kind of did, didn't he? He did, absolutely. You but, might say the Ferengi was kind of a caricature of Ross. Yeah, you know, and I mean – he w- I would say he probably was the most, I won't say viable, but he carried, did he carry more than Anderson as a third party? He, he had a higher percentage of the vote, but I think he joined Anderson in getting zero in the electoral college. Okay. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. The last time that a third party candidate got electoral votes, you might have to go back to the Bull Moose Party. To Teddy. Yeah, and and I think that I think that uh, one of his proteges carried Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin went bull moose once after the nineteen twelve election. I have to go back and check what you, that was. I think once in the twenties, Wisconsin went went bull moose, and that was the last time I can recall that a third party picked up any electoral votes. Yeah, Ross Perot, interesting character, and had a lot of uh, backing. I remember I was in. Uh I was in Indianapolis at that time and was being asked to come out and to emcee all kinds of Ross Perot stuff. Uh, someone told me the other day that the American Independence Party still exists, although it's just a tiny nub now. Yeah, like, it probably does. You know, there's a lot of little titty, you know, I'm, tiny, I'm, tiny, little tiny I think it was parties. Greg Kazer that told me that, so I'll rely on okay. him. Okay, we'll blame it on him. All right, we've got uh, eight minutes to the top of the hour. We've got to get a break in. Let's do that. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Phone number is 823-0965. Do you believe the Democrats will honestly try to impeach the President of the United States? I'd like to hear your thoughts about it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 101.1 FM, the answer. Well, a little earlier in the day, after May... (laughs) started talking about all the problems she was having for with brexit um the stock market was down almost 600 points it is now 62.57 to the green <laughs> it is uh it's kind of hard to make sense of those swings isn't yeah it? it's up point two two nine percent the footsie would have been affected by that but it's effect on us i wouldn't say it has none but surely minor uh, yeah surely our our long-term economic health isn't going to depend on britain staying or going nope and they got uh, nasdaq is up 57 <coughs> points almost a full point s&p 500 is up about a quarter at 7.63 so it's all we're showing green across the board now that's Hallelujah. always a good thing i love that I'm always uh, paying attention to that. I'm looking here to see what may have broke while we were sitting here and just talking. I try to keep up with this stuff. So let's see what it says. It says market ominous. So that hasn't changed. 
economic uncertainty that has changed it's not uncertainty now we're in the green not in red Small, how about there being know. economic uncertainty since oh about four thousand bc <laughs> i i'll be honest with you there's <clears throat> there's a lot about stock market i do not understand i understand people sell when they sell because they think they're going to make a you know a lot of money that they can sweep off and then they can go back and reinvest again and that one day it'll be red went down 600 points and the next day it'll be up 300 and it's just it's like people are just switching pockets with their money i think sometimes that's what i get out of it well what's the old saying they say that the stock market climbs a wall of greed and plunges into a pit of fear Something to that effect. Yeah, I think. And, and that's what these wild swings. You know that the, the actual intrinsic value of these companies doesn't change radically from no. one day to the next. No. It's what are the internals? You know, are, are companies making profits? Is it a good climate for business? And, and when you see these wild swings, that's based on emotional reactions and not on actual relevant data for the most part the only, you're looking into the future yeah the only rule that i ever live by buy low sell high there you go <laughs> that's the way to come out ahead <laughs> that's exactly rd right. give you all kinds of advice on that yeah i he? bet you i bet you would all right we got to get a break in let's do that news is coming your way then carl will be back uh, robert steinbach will be joining us sometime during the next hour and all right we'll all have a dis- discussions about what's going on with the first amendment here in the uh, united states as well on the dave ellswick show all right into the second hour of a monday show let me just give you a couple of heads up tomorrow three thirty, we'll be joined by bill o'reilly for a half hour that should be fun and He doesn't want to talk about his new book about killing the SS. He wants to talk politics. And we're going to have some good things to talk about about politics. So we'll see what Bill O'Reilly perhaps has to say about the possible impeachment of uh, Donald Trump. See what he has to say about it. So that's coming up on Wednesday. One of my favorite reporters, because I honestly, as I watch his reporting, it seems to me he tries to give us objective reporting i'm going to tell you right now not any you know reporter who's a human being can be totally objective there's going to be some subjectivity in whatever they say but major garrett will join us on wednesday and i look forward to talking i think he's at three o'clock and i look forward to talking uh with him now he does have a book out i'm sure he'll want to say a few things about that but we'll get into politics as well and see what he has to to say um on on that subject as well robert steinbach should be with us here a little later on in this uh this hour he had some personal business that he had to take uh, earlier so he'll join uh, myself and my special guest today carl kimball who i really enjoy having on the air with me thank you so much Dave. i mean it's really it's true though i you and i used um, for a while our lives took us in different kind of directions and now we got time to get you back on and you and I to talk. And I think that uh, a lot of the things that you bring to the table are really important just because historically, you know a lot. 
Well, you're very kind, Dave. Thanks for having me on. It's always an honor to be on the Dave Ellswick Show. And if you don't mind me giving a little shout-out, I want to express my appreciation to my partners, Bill Henson and Tanya Clark at Chanel Insurance, for covering the office for me this afternoon since I am still pretending to work for a living most of the time. And hi to my little buddy, Reese, who's a spokesman for the Angel Tree, for which we're participating in. They're doing in. good. Get, I hear you're doing we're, well. We're getting good participation. we got a, a bunch of stuff to turn in for that. And it's good that the station's been running that. We're big fans. Well, we're, we're big fans of uh, the Salvation Army. I I became a major, major supporter of the Salvation Army after 9-11 because I became a very big detractor <coughs> of the Red Cross. My dad hated the Red Cross from World War II. Really? Yes. I'd be interested in hearing more about that. I can tell you what he told me. Yeah. He said that they'd show up. You always hear the story about how they gave donuts during mm-hmm. World War II. Yeah, if you had the money to buy them. Oh, you're kidding. No, they sold them. I'll be darned. Yeah, so my father was not a big supporter of the Red Cross. In fact, I don't know that I ever saw him give a a, a shekel. They 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 went through a period. Um, I think it was in the nineties where they hit just a huge wall of scandal because so much of what went to the Red Cross was diverted into uh, administrative expenses yes. like fat salaries at the top. Well, you'll remember after nine eleven, mm-hmm. we ran several remotes. I believe it was with Sonic and um, gathering money from our listeners Mm -hmm. for the Red Cross. And we were told that all that money would go to the victims of 9-11 or their families. When, in fact, we came to find out that uh, the Red Cross put together a new phone system with that money. We were not happy. Well, you know. They probably do better than the Clinton Foundation. Well, yeah, absolutely. Which uh, I think was reported to way, spend about 13% of the donations they took in went to actually help well, people. They didn't help the people of Haiti, that's for sure. No. So you tell me, did you see the story today that Hillary Clinton is off the speaking tour with well, Bill? You know, so, they so weren't selling they, tickets. They were going to do giant stadiums the way that Trump did. They, I, I think, they envisioned themselves having these huge rallies like Trump does. Trump says, "I'm going to be here for a rally in a week. People are lined up days in advance yes. to get a good seat." You know, not not my thing to no. you know, go to that much trouble to see any politician, even one I like. But but uh, I think they thought that they would be able to emulate that as a way of getting her career back on track and and yeah i think that probably that the first empty stadium that they talked to may have dissuaded them so i'm not at all surprised to hear that and that's they went to concerned. canada where they're really loved really? and they still couldn't get a full they said that half of the stadium was curtained off yeah and then they couldn't even fill out kind of like a Bruce half. springsteen concert in north little rock yeah yeah, that went really bad for him, didn't it? Yeah. It really, really did. All right, 312 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We've been talking about um, the uh, the president and this possible thing about impeachment. It's all the hubbub in the beltway. If it is going to turn into anything, it will be very interesting to me. The only reason it would turn into anything with as little as it is is because some radicals have taken over 
the Democrat Party, which is kind of interesting, is it not to you, Carl, that this radicalized vision of these people who want to be social, this mm-hmm. socialists, and and they can't look and see what's going on over there in uh, what is it, Venezuela, where they're eating all their dogs. Uh, they're eating. In, they're eating the zoo animals and wiping with leaves. That's the future of Ocasio Cortez's yeah. America. What is it about that that young people? don't see other than they haven't really worked for anything yet they've been miseducated they have gone to schools where very left-leaning teachers have given them a very left-leaning view of life they've not been out and experienced the real world you know what what i I shouldn't can't speak for you because you had your air force career before you even got to the station that you're at now but I, i know in my case when i had to go out and work for a living that disabused me of a lot of the notions I might have had when I was fresh out of college, right. and and uh, you know, school of hard knocks. Uh, you know, I don't think that we do things the same way anymore. But you know, I remember a time in life when I was bringing home forty five bucks a week, and I was making way too much money to get any kind of government assistance whatsoever. Yes. And, I know and, what so, you're I, and, and so that was my incentive to go out and work harder and work smarter and try to to improve my income by doing a better job at what I was doing and trying to live within my means and get ahead by dint of doing satisfactory work that people would pay me for. And that gave me a whole different perspective than I had as a college student. But Loved see, those ivory tower days, but, you know, but during that time, real. okay, during that time <clears throat> when uh, you and I were a lot younger, okay, and I, I remember – the first time that I had to vote, it was between McGovern and uh, Nixon. That was my first election. Okay, and I voted for McGovern. It's the only yeah. time I voted for a Democrat, it, and it, it, well, I'll was, never vote for another he, Democrat that he, I can force. He was a World War II bomber that's, pilot. That's correct. He was a history professor. You know, I, it was just a natural fit for me. I was, I was, wor- I was trying to finish up my first degree in history, and here's a history professor who's also a war hero who says he wants to stop the war that I thought we ought to get out yeah, of. And he's saying, and, and, and why Nixon are we was do- as corrupt as the devil? Yes. We knew it back then, even well, if we hadn't been caught yet. All we got to remember is a checker speech. Yeah, well, goes way we'll back. not have Nick Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. Anyway. That was, that, was, that was actually after the 62 uh, gubernatorial loss yeah. that he said you don't have Nixon to kick around anymore. Yep. But yeah. I, I remember that. I've been, I've been interested in politics for as long as I can remember because my father was interested in politics. And it's a man who had a third-grade education who uh, whose father walked out of him when he was a kid and he went to work in the uh, – the coal mines in West Virginia at nine years old to Yikes. take care of his family because his mother had cancer and he had two other sisters. And mm-hmm. so he worked in he worked in the coal mines till he was 18. Then he got out. And I just heard this not but two years ago when my brothers and I, we always get together one time a year mm-hmm. just so we can check in and make sure we're all alive. But uh, we're talking and, and uh, Don said uh, to me, he says, you know, I – Dad got out of the coal mines and went into the army. I said no because they had the feeling that World War II would, was going to happen, and he went in about that time. And uh, my brother said, "Well, he said to me, 
after that second coal mining uh, collapse that killed 18 guys, I decided maybe I should get out. (laughs) Oh, man. So I can understand, okay? But he was making good money for that time. But uh, he didn't want to be. duty Yeah, he didn't want to be under the ground doing all the work that he was doing. Mm -hmm. So he went into the Army, and when he got out, he was. um, he was um, sergeant, or I don't even look. I don't even know how the grades in the in the army go. I I know what the air force is because that's when I served in. Similar. And I always say why I went into the air force because I thought they did it right. They sent off their officers. They sent to the fight. officers to that's fight. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. They also had better chow than the army. Oh I've yeah, they too. had the our uh, our we, chow halls were you, very good. You and I have been paying attention to politics. Sounds like just about as long. A first, long time. The first election I really remember was the 1960 election between uh, Nixon and Kennedy. I and I was living. I was living in the environs of Boston, Massachusetts in 1960 Ooh. and i remember riding to, they would have loved jfk yeah I, was, huh? yeah I was in fourth grade at the time and i was the new kid from arkansas so you know yeah. it's a rough thing to start with in new england but, yeah no kidding but uh, i was riding the bus of some little second grade girl that that says john f kennedy's gonna change the school week to only four days and i'm gonna <laughs> kiss him if he does <laughs> And you know, every time Did I you hear, look at her and every, say, "I'll change it to three. Every time I every time I hear one of these Democrat politicians saying, "Saying vote for me and you'll have free health care. Vote for me and you'll have free college tuition. Vote for me." I keep thinking about that little girl back in 1960 saying, "John F. Kennedy is going to change it to a four day school week, and I'm going to kiss him when he does." Because <laughs> it makes as much sense. Here's what I will give credit to the Democrats that they have done with with under obama they did it with obama more than anybody else is that they expanded the welfare state yeah they they didn't they didn't keep it in you know the poor part of town they stretched it out into the middle class and by bringing it to the middle class yeah by bringing it to the middle class what they did is they started sending you a check or putting money in the bank and then when People start talking real straight with you and tell you, we can't afford to do this. You go, well, you're going to t- you try to take, take that money. money. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. they That, to me, was they expanded the plantation. That's what they did. Exactly so. Exactly so. And uh, like Margaret Thatcher said, socialism works pretty fine until you run out of other people's money. Yeah, and I'm seeing us getting to that point here in this country. Well, uh, with the enormous debt that we've got, an enormous and growing deficit, constant demand for more and more government services, you've got to be able to pay for it one way or another. And the, and the feel of the people, it used to be the feel of the people was, just leave me alone and I can make my way. That's now what, that's what immigrants come here for yeah but now that's not what people think and even the middle class of america think any longer it's i want the government to take care of me and yeah. you you tell them well you're gonna to have to give up and give that well that's okay and i'm dave, willing to give that and, up and dave that's the part of this whole thing that bothers me the most is that with this constant expansion of the welfare state and the pressure for, for more and more big government, it's undermining our morals as a nation. Mm-hmm. It's taking away from us the strength, the character 
that made us who we are in the first place. We were the country that could kick the world's ass. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, uh, you already we, did. We, <laughs> we, were the, we, were the, we were the people that couldn't be beat because we had a strength of character that was not to be found in the countries where our ancestors came from. And and we had that strength of character because we were a country based on an idea and an ideal of of self-reliance and independence. And I'm not saying that everybody should be every man for himself or jungle capitalism, but the culture of the country was not gimme. The culture of the country used to be gimme a chance. Mm-hmm. Gimme a chance, I'll work for it, I'll make it. And when that was the culture, that was a predominant culture of the country for hundreds of years. And the Ocasio-Cortezes want to turn that on its head and and finish this transition to a culture of laying around saying, well, what's the government going to do for me? That's the culture. And, and of course, you and I are of European descent. And so I I speak about that mainly because I know more about it than I do about those of Asian or African descent. They're not meaning to diss them in any way. But our ancestors who came here from Europe, to join this country. They were coming to get away from that kind of stuff. We came here to get away from the king telling you how to do everything mm-hmm. and everything being dependent on the king. When de Tocqueville toured America in 1832, he said one of the remarkable things was that when something needed to be done in a locale, instead of waiting for the king or the government to come and do it, the local people would throw together and they would get done what needed to be done for their community. And and that's something that we've seen a lot of erosion in. We don't have the strength or the numbers anymore in our civic organizations, our volunteer organizations that we did because that spirit of volunteerism and that spirit of togetherness as America, whether we agree on politics or not, that we're all Americans and we're all in this together, that's being taken away from us. By well, not only being taken away, it's being forced from us because the government says stay out of it you're just screwing it up let us take care of all of this let fema come in and take care of everything and, and and the miseducation of our children about the value of socialism as opposed to the value of capitalism mm-hmm. and hard work is i think the worst and the scariest part of it all if we don't do something to train future generations in the value of freedom, the excellencies. What was it that, that Walter, the great Walter Williams called the excellence of liberty, I think is how he said it, mm-hmm. or the excellency of liberty. And we need to be encouraging our children to believe in the excellence of liberty, the value of hard work, the pride of being able to accomplish something yourself in an honest and straightforward way to be able to do for yourself do for your family and and if our children can't be taught that socialism is the root not only of the undermining of all those values but socialism always leads to poverty and to tyranny always People say, oh, the Scandinavian countries. 
you know, A, they're kind of an isolated example because they used to be so culturally and ethnically undiverse. That's but, right. Of course, with the, with the hundreds of thousands of Muslim immigrants that have poured into those countries, they are less diverse than they used to and be. And they're or, fighting. Or they're, they're more diverse, I should say, than they used to they're be. They're fighting wholeheartedly against it. Well, they're, they're finding that it's creating difficulties in their socialist utopia because they have too large and unassumable assimilable a part of the of, uh, community that's just there to mooch off them and isn't there to contribute to them and has not accepted and embraced their cultural values. And uh, socialism is the great bugaboo of the last 200 years. In the 20th century alone, socialism killed 100 million people. Various types of socialists of various countries murdered a hundred million people in this world just in that one century and and why we can go after and after the fall of the soviet union and and it seemed at one time in the 90s like capitalism was spreading across the world and socialism was completely discredited but they're creeping back and of course they're creeping back through things like the environmental movement and the global warming crowd where the now now it's you know green on the outside and red on the inside you got your watermelon socialists yes. now that that are using that as an excuse to to take away freedom and to try and establish uh, big government and it always leads to tyranny and uh, you look at what life is like in in Nicaragua, in Cuba, in Venezuela today, compared to in the United States. Americans aren't rushing there to, to live. I'm not rushing anywhere in Central America at all. Oh heavens, nowhere. All right, let's take a break. We got to get a break in. When we come back, which is the worst kind of purveyor of socialism? Uh, you know, uh, Ocasio Cortez. Or a Cody Booker. Corey? Corey, yeah, Corey Booker. Let's talk about what's Corey Booker Spartacus. been saying? What is, yeah, what is he? Yeah, I should have just said Spartacus. Well, what is he promoting? We'll talk about all of that here in just a moment. Do not be fooled. It all leads to the same end. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we're back. We're sitting and talking about other, with some of our, <coughs> our other friends. We won't bring that up right now. These are good people, and I just heard I didn't know that that you just told me. Now I have to send a card to him, tell him, thinking about him. Oh, I bet he'd appreciate that. Yeah. Probably just thinks that I haven't thought about him in a while. Maybe. Well, we tried to to bring back up a, a segment of a show that we used to do, but now with everybody having a smartphone, um, nobody. Playing trivia plays it fairly. Everybody looks it you up. You notice it looks it up. Yeah, everybody well, can see, look the, it up. See, that's why I'm that's why I'm almost useless to have as a friend now. You <laughs> know? It used to be that I was worth knowing because I knew some stuff, but now that you don't need anything but your smartphone to find anything out, who needs Carl around? Yeah, I gotcha. I, everybody wanted me to play trivia, but you do that now, just having a smartphone. All right, the news is next. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show as we move into uh, the last half hour of my time with Carl Kimball today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, I didn't get to get Cory Booker in before we took the break. And I told you, I asked the question, who was more, you know, worrisome, Cortez or Booker? And to me, Booker is a little bit more uh, 
worrisome in that he brings up things for socialism that sound plausible. I mean, Cortez, when she talks, she, you know, look, when she says, I, I believe in all three branches of the government, I believe in the executive, the Senate, and the House. <laughs> she said that. I didn't make it up. That's what she said. Well, she comes across as what one of your national competitors calls a glittering jewel of colossal ignorance. Well, she is very much that. I mean, I usually when we play uh, a piece of what she says, we follow it up with that uh, <clears throat> junior teenage America woman oh, yeah. speak, giving that, that that. I think that U.S. Americans uh, yeah, should. Uh, yeah, yeah, it just it just makes me laugh because it's it, word salad. Yeah, she just just saying things to be can, saying. Things. Can you believe that that woman has a degree from an American college in economics? I think it's from Boston University or someplace in Massachusetts, an East the, Coast college. The one that can't even o- talk? Ocasio-Cortez yeah, okay. Oh, has okay. a college degree in economics. And you listen now, to her talk now, and there's no... It's hard to believe she has a college wherewithal. degree. Wherewithal. <laughs> you know, she's not very well spoken. No. She doesn't give any evidence of thinking clearly, and she certainly hadn't presented anything in the way of ideas based clear reality yeah that's that's true yeah. now cory booker cory is so ambitious he is so so ambitious he's, he's brutus I'm yeah just I, I, I think i think that i think that he well that's caesar that was ambitious and that's why brutus killed him well but uh they said he said that it was that caesar was ambitious but it was mark anthony who kind of painted brutus as the uh, ambitious one. Still, uh, well, Mark Antony said in the end, this was a truly noble Roman. He was the only one who didn't act on his own behalf. That's true. That's true. But, uh, but it, except when it came to Cleopatra. No, you're, it was uh, Mark Antony was the Cleopatra's yeah. next lover after Caesar, at least that we know of. That's true. But uh, I won't say what makes me think, but I'll, I won't say that. Uh, Spartacus. <laughs> That was too much. Uh, it was. It was. It that was, was too much. You know, I am a Spartacus. You know that Donald Trump would love to run against a guy that comes with a built-in nickname. Oh yeah, and 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 the next one he's going to. Anytime Trump talks about, it, he's going to be Spartacus. Has he come up with one for uh, 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 Cortez yet? Oh, I don't think he's had to. He didn't, hasn't had to yet. Uh, I don't think he's had to. I, and, and she's kind of a flash in the pan. She's she's sort of symbolic of the way that the democratic party's gone because so much of it's leaning that far left and she's symbolic of how badly miseducated the children of america have been for the last 50 years or or the worse and worse in the last 20 probably but but here's a young person that went to college and got a college degree a and, socialist degree, and and then and then went and then went to the Bronx and worked as a bartender for a while and ran for Congress. And by golly, she's one of our leaders now, or rather, I should say, she's a representative of of the Bronx. That might be a better way. And to identifies put it. with the poor people, but was raised as a rich kid. Yeah, she's her 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 backstory in reality is nothing like she, she kind of comes across. That's as, right. But she's a symbol of how badly miseducated our children. Anybody that's gone to school for as long as she went to school should understand that socialism is a fool's trap 
It's a way to tyranny and despotism, and and you only make people equal by making them equally poor and miserable. You don't get prosperity from taking the incentives out of capitalism and telling everybody it's going to be a free ride. Yeah, and there's one person that's been saying that now for years, and people love him, Bernie Sanders. Bernie's a phenomenon, uh, he has. It, it, it's amazing to me that here you got this old guy that's been around forever and, and never had any real influence or importance in None. American politics up until the last election cycle when he becomes the darling of of the young set uh, who believe that socialism's a wonderful idea. We just need the right people to be in charge to try it. Everybody's just been doing it wrong thus far. Now, now, Bernie, I think, you know, the Democrats conspired against Bernie in the last election Well, there's no doubt about it. He was, I, I don't think it would necessarily be fair to say he was cheated out of the nomination, but I think it would be fair to say that he was probably cheated out of a whole bunch of delegates and everything possible that they thought they could get away with was done to make sure he was not the nominee. And that was not, I don't think, necessarily because Hillary was so wonderful, but I think that those relatively few adults in the Democratic Party knew that putting in Bernie as their standard bearer was a guarantee of a Republican victory. And uh, Do you think he would have been the the 21st century McGovern? In what sense? Well, in that, look, if, if you were he going— He was not a war hero, no, and he was not a history professor, no, but, so I don't like him anywhere near as well, much as George. I, I understand that. However— you know, you, you've got a guy who's everything that the other guy isn't, all right? He's got empathy for the the working man and, and whatever. I mean, that's Which how McGovern— Which is McGo- ironic since he's never McGovern, had a real job in his life himself. That's how McGovern was seen mm-hmm. when, you've, when you put him up against Nixon. Young people would have looked at uh, McGovern yeah. and said, yeah, well, I, I'm a good example, except that I think the main reason I support it— uh, McGovern and not Nixon because I thought he was a crook then. Yeah, still think he too. was a crook. I but wouldn't then, vote for a Republican for thirty years because of Nixon. Really? Yeah, I voted that? third party most of Libertarian, the time. Libertarian. Huh? Most of my most of my adult life, I voted third party since two thousand eleven. Since September eleventh, I mean not two thousand eleven, but since uh, September eleventh, two thousand one, mm-hmm. it just seemed like the uh, the safety of the country depended too much on not letting jack-leg un-American idiots like John Kerry be put in charge of foreign policy or to Al take Gore. a chance. Yeah, 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 I understand. I, I voted for Harry Brown that election. Yeah. But, so, well, I voted for Harry Brown when uh, you had uh, Clinton and Dole running against each yeah, other. Harry ran in 96 and then 2000. Yeah. That's when you and I met was during his 2000 yes. campaign. Yeah. Well... Uh, I don't think Bernie's going to be the nominee. I think that while, in spite of Biden's having the name recognition right now because of being vice president, I, I think that really, in some ways, Bernie's kind of the guy in the starting blocks right now because he's got the organization. He got millions of votes. He's already known in all these places that you got to go to fight in the primaries. Right. And, and <clears throat> if they don't cheat him this time, uh, he may do a lot better this time than last time. 
But I think that the leaders of the Democratic Party probably are going to try and find somebody to rally behind to stop him because he doesn't check enough. But he's an old white man. Well, you've got him and you've got Biden. They're another old white and man. And they're going to be standing on the stage with a whole lot of youth. Yeah. How do you think that will play? I think that plays against them, don't you? Uh, you know, it's it's hard to imagine either one of them as president, to be honest with you. But it was hard to imagine Trump, so you know, I could be wrong again. Yeah. Certainly, um, Bernie Sanders is going to be a threat to whoever the serious candidates turn out to we be. We haven't brought up Bloomberg yet. Bloomberg is going to spend a lot of money and then maybe – Two percent of the people know who he is instead of half of a percent. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think Bloomberg's very likely. Uh, he's another rich old white. Guy. I think he's serious though. Yeah. Well, he he talks like he is. How about the guy from uh, out in Silicon Valley out there that hates Trump so the much? The Trump hater, uh, P- Peter Steyer, is that his name? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I, maybe it's hard uh, hard for thinking. me to take him seriously either. No, Bloom, I don't see Bloom, him out front. Bloomberg very would often. be more likely than that. Bloomberg at least has the experience of having been mayor of one of the biggest cities in the country, so that gives him a little bit of electoral experience. But an awful lot of people thought that as mayor in New York that he was a dreadful busybody that was trying to run everybody's lives and why didn't he go away and leave them alone? And you uh, may not drink a thirty-two ounce soda. Yeah, I mean. You know, I know that this land of the free and home of the brave may be an old antiquated statement by this point, but my gosh, let me make my own choices about the size of drink I want, please. And 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 if you're going to pass a law like that, you shouldn't be able to buy two 16-ounce sodas. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lack of doing math, basic math, and people were just going right around it. Yeah, well, and he, he, I think that happened because he got such a backlash on it. He, you know, he is a big government guy, and uh, you know that appeals to a certain segment of the population. But I don't think he's well enough known. Maybe if he spends enough money, maybe he'll get well enough known that uh, he'll end up being a threat. But, but you know, gosh, talk about a guy that rubs you the wrong way. I think that he'll. I think he'll rub enough people the wrong way that it's kind of hard for me to imagine him getting it. I still think Kamala Harris is the inside Yeah, I wanted, you to, bring, I wanted you to bring that up because both of us <clears throat> believe that she checks the, the boxes off and she's well-spoken and presents herself yeah, she's, well. She's, she's, she's an attractive woman who is, art- unlike Ocasio-Cortez, she speaks English fairly well. <laughs> And so that's a big plus for Kamala. Yeah. And and as Attorney General of uh, California, that's some pretty big time experience there. That so she's got electoral experience, and of course, she's awful, awful far far left, and and that scares me having that far left a president. Mm. But she checks the boxes. You know, she's half Asian, she's half black, and she's all woman. That's as far from an old white man as you can get. And so I think that she checks the boxes to be one that could appeal to the non-traditional constituencies that the Democrats think will be able to put us old white Christian men out to pasture for good. All right. We'll be back. We'll finish it up for uh, this hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. When we come back, I've been watching a show on uh, TV. 
And uh, if you've been watching it with your kid, what do you think about all that propaganda they're throwing at you? We'll talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Final segment today with uh, with Carl. And then I, I started talking. to I didn't talk to him before to say we were going to talk about it. But I'm going to talk about it anyway because I'm so pissed off about it. I, I've been watching. Can you say that on radio? Yeah, I, I said, I, yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question, Zach. Grab the uh, a microphone. Have you watched any of that s- series, Mars, on Nat Geo? Have not. Okay. So the first season, it was okay. Yeah. All right. It was okay. And I'm a big uh, space kind of guy. I grew up during the moon mission and all that. And I kind of would like to see us go back to the moon and and actually build a base there and then send our rest of our spacecraft from there to to mars and try to get there and i like that they're trying to set it up and and showing that the people who go the first time are real believers because they're going and they ain't coming back it's a one-way trip you go i was just wondering if we'd send pelosi and ocasio to cortez (laughs) send them up there I, I do have to say Their that I, constituency. I continue to wonder with all the computing power we had now versus how little we had then, why we haven't gone back yet, unless there really was Failure something about will. that not going. But anyway, the bottom line is I've been watching the second season, <clears throat> and Nat Geo has become just the same thing as saying global warming. Same with they, the Weather Channel, you know, they, too. Oh, yeah. They've been, weather Channel won't let you work there if you don't believe in John Coleman, who started the uh, the Weather Channel, uh, was their biggest critic. Now, he's dead, so they don't have any critic at all. I, so, bottom line, though, on Mars now, and I don't know anybody else who's watching this has noticed this, but in about every uh, – an hour program is probably – what do you say, 45 minutes of 42. Content? It's 42. Not counting commercials. So, yeah, 42 minutes. All right, so take another 10 minutes of their content and talk about the dangers of global warming. I mean, they it has become a propaganda machine. They just talk about it constantly. I, I think they're four, maybe four or five episodes into this uh, new uh, season, and this new season <laughs> – you got the scientists who are on Mars, and they want to keep it pristine. They want nothing to do with the people that come and start businesses on Mars. Well, now there's a group that's come to Mars that's a business, and they're going to build solar panels for the Mars scientists and some other things as well because because of lack of gravity and things of that nature – things should be made better than being under the the gravity of the of uh, of the world of the of the earth so these people are always drilling in the wrong, wrong place cuz they found water how dare you drill into the water and there might be a bacteria in there that you're going to corrupt uh, by by letting it out and uh, and it goes on and on and on. These guys are always the bad guys. The the capitalists are the bad guys. The good guys are the government. The people <laughs> that want to keep the planet pristine. That uh, don't want you know 
even though it's the money that's being paid by industry to do their work on Mars that is actually paying the way for the scientists to do what they want. And there's actually one, there was one uh, episode that had them make the decision that they were going to let these people continue to work on Mars because without them, they'd have to shut down the NASA part of it. There was the money they were going to make off of what this company was doing to keep them going. But it's all about business bad. The scientists are the, you know, wearing the silver armor. They're the (laughs) white knights. It's just, it's disgusting. I'm glad I don't have any kids that were watching because I would turn it off because for me, that's as bad as watching pornography. (laughs) It sounds like it's to do with diametrically opposed worldviews. Oh, it is. There are uh, some people who believe that as the Bible says, mankind was put on earth and the earth was here for us and that we are the crown of creation, that we have a right to be here and that the use of the earth to better mankind is an ultimate good. And yet, on the other hand, you have people who think that mankind is some kind of a infestation or plague upon the face of the earth and the earth would be better off without mankind destroying it and polluting it with his various machinations all i will say is that if your child goes to a public school and they're replaying this in the science classroom you should be challenging that i'm just telling you you should be challenging it If you want to know why we are where we are right now with the educational system in our country, it's because as parents, we have not challenged them enough. You think that them seeing Nat Geo would be bad? How about when they take a day to celebrate Earth Day at school? Oh, yeah. They started that when you and I were in high school. They take the kid. Well, since, of course, my wife's retired now, but she's talking about it. Now, kids in public schools were let out to pledge allegiance to the earth on okay. Earth Day. I don't remember that part of it. Well, that's been since you and I were in school days. I remember die-ins it, it, and all of that gotten, stuff. It's gotten more radical since we were in school, believe me. Now, I will say this. There was a time that something needed to be done about air pollution, and things were done. The, the air we breathe now is much better than the air you and I breathe. Oh, man, in the 70s, we were facing some really bad pollution problems. Yeah, acid rain and, and all of that. And, 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 you know, much as I hate to give the devil his due, good old Richard Nixon started the EPA, and, yeah. of course, its mission's been considerably radicalized. I don't radicalized. think we needed the EPA, but... You know, the but, politicians should have had the balls to pass the laws that needed to be passed. Without having an administrative That's exactly state. right. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. You and I are on the same page there. But at least we did start doing something about it. And, and you know, it's because we're a capitalist country with freedom. And, and you look around the world, we are one of the cleanest countries in the world. We have less emissions and less toxic waste coming out of our country than any country of comparable size in the world. The biggest polluters in the world are always the most socialist countries. That's not a coincidence. 
number one. <laughs> Carl, it's always a Delightful pleasure, to be with you today, so Dave. Much. Thank you kindly for the offer. I enjoyed being with you. I love having two hours of really good conversation. Thank you so much. We'll take a break, and then uh, Robert Steinbach will be joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back uh, for the Dave Ellswick Show as we continue. We are now in the uh, third hour of the show. We move into the 4 o'clock hour, give you an opportunity to listen to us as you're traveling home from work. If you're in your car right now, congratulations. You're on your way home early uh, or typically earlier than the folks that leave at 5 o'clock and uh, the 9 to 5ers that are out there. But again, we uh, we we welcome you. We had a really great two hours with with uh, Carl Kimball. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Carl just because of his background and history and and things of that nature, and how he's able to utilize that to talk about how we've slowly here in the West moved our way uh, to where we're at by following our European ancestors. Uh, to get to the point of, you know, the king state again, basically. Uh, and, and that's not good. It's not good as at all. So, you know, when you look at Asia and when you look at Africa, uh, where a majority of our uh, immigrants come from, and even if you look into Central America now and, and South America, uh, a lot of those countries, not all of them, but uh, a, a considerable majority of those countries uh, have, they're either directed by a kind of like a king or a despot, and one person makes all of the decisions, and you don't have much say in being able to stop that. I mean, um, you know, Africa had kings uh, over in uh, Asia. You had, you know, the uh, in China, you had your, your families that uh, ran everything. The emperor ran everything. The same thing from over uh, in Japan and, and all the rest. It was only what worked out of, uh, out of Europe with the Magna Carta and some other things that we brought over here to America uh, and a completely new form of of uh, uh, political direction was instituted. And, and when you look at the history of the world, a very small time frame of it, and what that, what that, uh, what our country has been able to do in that time to help and help the rest of the world do in that time, uh, I have to tell you, Western civilization has done more uh, for mankind than, any other civilization that I believe uh, in history. So um, now we're kind of getting the backwash. That's where this socialist thing is coming from. It's coming from Europe, and it's coming from where we came from, and we've forgotten why we left, and we're embracing the very things that we fled. We talked a little bit about that with uh with Carl. So I got this story here from Fox News that I, and uh, Travis Fedson of Fox News wrote this and I thought it was uh, very telling. So uh, let, let's start talking about this and it would be great as soon as uh, 
Robert gets here, we'll get him involved in this as well because he's very, very articulate about these things as well. He is at the doctor's. He just sent me a message saying that he's just about done, and then he'll be on his way here to get on the show. Uh, The French president, who they say in this article, his political career in peril, his country engulfed in increasingly violent protest, pleaded with the country's employers today to give their workers a bonus. Notice it's not what the government can do, but what business can do uh, to help offset some of the things that are going on uh, in Europe. He promised a reduction in taxes in a bid to restore order after demonstrations have deeply shaken the nation during the past month. He's asked the employers to give their workers a bonus. In a pre-taped address broadcast on television, Macron criticized the inadmissible violence of all the protests and promised to use all means to restore calm. When violence is unleashed, he said, freedom stops. I like to say when socialism is unleashed, freedom stops. When the government starts telling you what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and they're going to do it to you, uh, and then you only can go to the streets to stop it, where, of course, we can go to the polls and try to stop it. Uh, It makes it uh, very interesting, doesn't it? I would ask all employers, this is his quote, I would ask all employers who can pay an end-of-year bonus to your employees. Among his pledges today, Macron reiterated his promises to raise the minimum wage. What are we seeing here in Arkansas? Save, you know, raise the minimum wage. Abolish taxes on overtime pay starting January 1st, several months ahead of schedule. That would not be a bad uh, way to go, although you would see overtime start disappearing quickly. Um, He also said a tax hike for uh, pensioners faced would be scrapped. So people who are, if you want to get a lot of people that were on Social Security to vote for you, say that you're going to quit tax and Social Security. Doesn't that always seem interesting, though? You pay all your life for Social Security. All your life you pay for this. They tax you. It's a it's a Social Security tax so that uh, the people who are taking Social Security can uh, keep their Social Security because it's the people working now that are paying for the people that are on Social Security now. But here just a few years ago, what did they do? It used to be Social Security wasn't taxed. Now it is. So they double tax you. I want you to think about that. I'm going to be in this in this uh, this way next year because I intend to start taking my Social Security while I'm still working. So while I'm still working, I'll be paying for Social Security. And while I'm still working and I'm getting my Social Security, I'm going to turn around and have the government 
take taxes out of my Social Security, which I, of course, I find is double taxation, but they don't see it that way. All of the measures offered that uh, Macron has done have been demanded by the yellow-vested protesters who have held four weeks of increasingly violent demonstrations against his presidency, which is seen by demonstrators uh, as favoring the rich. He acknowledged anger and indignation among members of the public over the cost of living, but added no indulgence would be given to the people behind the protest violence. The president said, quote, no anger justifies attacking police or looting stores, saying both actions threaten France's cherished liberty. He also spent Monday meeting with local and national political leaders, unions, and business leaders to hear their concerns after the protests that started in struggling providences and spread to rioting in the capital. His speech to the nation came after Paris' chief prosecutor revealed Sunday that nearly 1,000 people were being held in custody after weekend protests in the capital city again turned violent. The radicalizing protest movement was initially triggered by a proposed fuel tax hike and other economic policies amid high living costs in France and the feeling that the president is favoring the rich. But, uh, it goes on to say, as the demonstrations continued, its participants have become more of a widespread group with different demands. They are all united, however, by their disdain for the president's government. The protests, particularly in uh, Paris, have turned destructive and violent, causing more than 8,000 police to be deployed as some 10,000 demonstrators took to the streets. Popular tourist sites uh, were closed because they were major locations of unrest. Protesters were setting vehicles ablaze, and police were deploying tear gas and stun grenades. There has also been damage in other cities, notably Marseille, Toulouse, and Bordeaux. Uh, Finance Minister Bruno Le Marais said the weeks of unrest have been an economic catastrophe for France. Last week, the president withdrew a fuel tax hike, the issue that kicked off protests in mid-November, in an effort to appease the protesters, but the move was seen as too little, too late. For many protesters, the president himself, widely seen as disconnected from rank-and-file French, has become a problem. Calls for him to resign were rampant Saturday, the fourth weekend, of large-scale protests. Quote, the president is there for the rich, not for all the French, said a 60-year-old retiree. And he said that to the AP on Saturday. Critics say that the president's push to swiftly modernize the French economy have punished retirees, among other groups. A Mr. Vallette, who uh, helps coordinate Yellow Vest protesters, who uh, come to Paris, told the Associated Press that people want change and, quote, concrete, immediate, right now, unquote, measures. 
before the president's speech, uh, he said that if the French leader withdrew his signature slashing of the wealth tax, half of the yellow vests will go home. The other half will want him to resign and will stay in the streets, he predicted, because the movement isn't controllable. So you got a you got a a guy who set off, uh, you know this this whole thing with the the carbon tax that he was going to institute, that was going to drive uh, the price of of petrol, as they call it over in Europe, not gas, petrol, and uh, that they sell by liter. If you put it into per gallon, like we have here, it was going to make the price of gas. Uh, Seven about seven dollars a gallon. Now you can tell, you know, by looking at that by itself, that if you're on a fixed income, you're a pensioner, that that's going to hit you really, really, really hard. Going to make it very, very difficult on you. And so the protests began. The first thing that he did was say, "Well, wait, we we won't bring forth uh, this tax." for six months, but then we're going to bring it forth. And then they had enough uh, still of the protest, and they kept gathering people into them that he finally said, the president said, I'll get rid of the gas tax. Too late, not enough then. Who knows what it's going to take now to get this to stop. So um, good position. Because, look, they got to take, they got to get so much taxes if they go, if they're going to pay for all of the uh, the things they pay for the government, for the people. See, the people don't see that they're getting money uh, for this stuff. Now, they're paying for it because guess what? Where does government get the money to tell you they're going to give you something free? They take the money out of your paycheck and then give you some of the money that you're giving to you. And then you get stuff, quote, for free. Although people can be fooled with that for so long and then all of a sudden it dawns on you that you're paying them to pay you and you're not getting back what you paid in. we got more to talk about. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach will be with us sometime this hour. Uh, if you want to take part in the conversation, 823-0965 is our number. 823-0965. And if you're a person who believes in socialism, that you think socialism will work, if it's done right, it's just never been done right, I'd like you to call in today and tell me how it should be done so it's done right and you don't bankrupt your your nation while you're trying to do it. It's 22 minutes after 4. Back with more here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let's continue uh, talking here on the Dave Ellswick Show. News coming up here in about three and a half minutes. <clears throat> Bring you up to date on what's going on. Uh, in the first hour of the show, if you did not listen uh, or were not able to listen, you were you know, at your desk or whatever doing your job, and maybe the boss not happy if you're sitting here listening to the show, uh, we talked about this whole thing about uh, some Democrats in the House side now thinking that because uh, Trump uh, paid uh, to silence a, a couple of women, you know, Stormy Daniels and uh, 
I think there was one other woman. Uh, to keep him quiet about, quote, affairs that he had with him, that somehow that uh, affected the election so strongly. And remember, that came out before, a lot of it came out, before uh, the part about when he said what he said that they played uh, from, uh, what was it, uh, what was the program that played the, the piece that talked about, you know, uh, women and, and, and fame and, and grabbing them by their, their, I think it was access Hollywood, access Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. And by their, by their private parts and all of that. If that wasn't enough to dis- derail his, uh, campaign, then the bringing to light that, he evidently paid or had that one nimwit that he had, uh, you know, his quote fixer, uh, paying them some money to keep their mouth shut. Uh, you know, it seems to me that there was any, there was nothing that was going to derail his run against Hillary Clinton. Uh, not to say that if he had run against somebody else, it might not have, but against Hillary Clinton with all the baggage she was carrying with what she had done in the past and everybody just blew off and what her husband had done and everybody just blew off from uh, uh, the left, uh, then, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, the uh, Republican nominee did as though it was going to have some kind of huge, huge uh, impact uh, was kind of stupid. I mean, America, to say that we've become, how shall we say, more, I'll just say more forgiving, uh, you know, uh, than we used to be. I mean, I remember going back when I was much younger. I was I was in elementary school, as I was saying during the time that I had Carl on. We spent, a lot, and he was the same way, we spent a lot of times uh, talking about politics with our parents around the dinner table and stuff. Now, if you ever find a family around the dinner, dinner table, it is definitely the minority and uh, is not uh, the majority. But during that time, if you were Catholic, they'd say you had a very little chance of being uh, elected or if you were divorced. Let's talk more about this after the news. All right, back with you. And we've been talking hear about uh, of course france and what's been going on and a lot of other things that are going on as far as uh, our country goes and and i was somebody was asking me the other day about all of this stuff that's happening as as far as socialism in this country goes and so i uh i uh weighed in it was at a dinner and we were sitting and talking about it and i said i I can really kind of uh, set it at the feet of uh, a couple of things. And, and number one is education. Our, our, our country now has uh, been inundated, indoctrinated, and propagandized about social, socialism through the school system. Good example. I'm going to just use myself for 
uh, an exam- uh, my example, and I could use somebody like Carl or others. I just go back and talk about what education was. If when number one, uh, when I was in 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 high school, and I don't know about the rest of you. I'm, I mean, whether you're young or whether you're old, uh, I can tell you this much: if you're young, you have had a a completely different uh, teaching about capitalism than what I had as a young man growing up uh, and going through the public school system. The public school system over the 40-odd years that I've been out of uh, public school has moved strongly to the left. I can't tell you how many uh, young men and women I talk to about high school and then about college who tell me that the majority of their professors preach a socialistic doctrine. And I say doctrine for a reason, because it's a belief system. It's an absolute belief system. And the, the information they use, the arguments they use, are weak. But if you want to get a decent grade under those types of uh, professors, you better puke back exactly what it is that they've taught you. And as they've taught you those things, some of it stuck. Some of it stuck in it and a little bit maybe stuck back in the um in the mid eighties and then a little bit more as you get to the end of the eighties and a little bit more as you got into the nineties and a little bit more as you get to the end of the of the uh, of the nineties and in and moving into the 21st century, it's even more so. And all along the line, something's sticking. More people are buying into it. And then we get to where we are now. There's a lot of you who have watched your children go off to college, had them come back over the holidays, and you start talking to them, maybe about politics or whatever, and what they start spewing back at you is just the opposite of what you've taught them throughout their life. You saw it probably start when they were in high school. Because when I was in high school, and now I'm taking you back uh, quite a ways here, because I graduated in 1971. And uh, when I look at that, I'm talking 47 years ago. It's almost a half century. When you think about it, it's really not that long. But when you think in the, in the way of time that most people think, it's a long time. But in that time frame, in 19, 1971, when I was in, I had to take a year of economics in school. Now you're lucky if you even hardly hear about economics in high school. We had to take a year of economics, and we had to take a year of political science uh, and, and learn about uh, American history, world history, and on top of that, 
you got a whole year of political science. You got a whole year of uh, of economics, and in economics, uh, you can't see it right now. We don't have our camera in the studio. We'll have that back tomorrow, and you'll be able to watch uh, the show on on Facebook. But I'm gonna hold my hand way up in the air, and this is where capitalism was viewed way up over top of everybody. And then when you talk socialism, there was a huge drop. Now, here's socialism. We looked at what the Europeans were doing and looking at uh, what um, Central America perhaps was doing, uh, and it was here. And then you talked about communism, and it was here at the very bottom. Everybody knew communism was the worst thing that could ever happen to a country. That's where that's how it was taught. Now in school, capitalism has switched places with socialism. Socialism is taught way up here because it seems it's morally superior to uh, people who are greedy. It started. I mean, look, we can go back and look at Wall Street. Remember that great. A line that Gecko used, you know, that greed was good. Of course, that's not how he meant it, but that greed was good. So you got you got socialism way up here as the number one way of doing things. Then you had capitalism, which was not as low as socialism was at a time, but uh, at that time or this time. But uh, it was still, it had lost a lot of its luster and communism still, for the most part, flat as a pancake at the very bottom. But the change had started and started strongly that in your child's high school, if he had to take economics, socialism was looked at being better than capitalism. As I keep telling you, those folks teach that it is the most morally correct form of economics, helping the people at the very bottom, giving them money, giving them uh, breaks on their uh, rent, you know, uh, giving them free food, and on and on and on. That's the way to do it. It's not right to see companies go out and hire people, pay them what some of you call that are not livable wages, and uh, even though you agreed to work for that, and probably the only reason you agreed to work with it is that you didn't pay attention when you were in high school, you didn't learn your lessons well, you didn't uh, go out and uh, get yourself a marketable skill, and so you're working uh, at a job that really... Uh, is an entry-level job and, and not a job that you can support a family on. Minimum wage was never meant to support a family on. Never, ever, never, 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 never. But now, you know, it's taught that corporations are bad because they don't pay people that know nothing, that can't do anything, that aren't worth paying much of anything to except to, uh, you know, drop another thing of fries over there, would you please? And people think that that person should be paid 
15 13 $11 an hour. It's insanity. But it sounds morally superior to the, the business owner who says, well, what can you do for me that will help me make my widget, that's whatever it is they make, and helps make a profit so I can expand my business What makes that morally superior? I haven't figured that one out yet. But that's the way Americans tend to think. And the reason they think that way is they've been taught to think that way. Robert Steinbach is here. Robert. Dave, you know, the problem with the analysis regarding the contrast between capitalism and socialism is the mistaken belief that capitalism is an imposed upon system. It is somehow designed by somebody else, be it government or third parties, and placed upon us to operate in that realm, much like living within a Monopoly board game. It is not. If we were stranded on a desert island... You and I, we would engage in capitalism. I would have the coconuts. You would have the bananas, in part because you are a little bit bananas. And I would say, hey, would you like to trade a coconut for a banana? And you would say, how about two coconuts for a banana? And we would strike a bargain. Or, by the way, we wouldn't. Either of those events... Define capitalism. They are the free exchange of goods and services among individuals with no one else telling us what to do and how we can do it. That's not an imposed upon system. That is by definition freedom. So in socialism, you always have to bring a third party into That's exactly right. In socialism, the state gets involved and says, wait a second, Dave, if you want to give two bananas for that one coconut or vice versa, whatever the case it may have been, first of all, we got to take a piece of the pie. We need a banana. Second of all, we'll tell you how many bananas you can trade for how many coconuts? And you say, well, but wait a second. Rob wants to give me two coconuts for one banana. It's a good deal. And they say, no, 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 no. That's not the deal we want you to strike. And you say, but that's the deal I want. Doesn't matter. That's what socialism. But but they'll tell you that's the more moral oh, yeah. of way of doing oh, it. Oh, they imbue it with this notion of morality. How is the state telling me what to do in any way a definition of morality? My morality comes from God. But that's okay. It doesn't have to come from God from everyone. Right? You can be an atheist. That's fine. I know atheists. They still have a sense of morality. They have a, still have a sense of right and wrong. That's okay. So I'm not here trying to impose something on other people. But that socialism does. It comes in and tells you, we know better. Watch out for those words when the government comes selling that bag of goods, Dave. We know better. Mm-hmm. And here's not only what you must do. Here's not only what you can do. This is what's quote, moral. They come in and tell you what's moral. Have you ever met a government bureaucrat, or as we, do, as we coined, bureau hack last time? Have you met a bureau hack whose desi- designs of morality coincide with yours? Moreover, that you want preaching to you? Do you want a bureau hack putting on a robe and going on an on a altar and telling you what's right and wrong? I don't. And that's the difference between socialism and capitalism. But I go back to 
what my initial argument was of why we look at the way people think about socialism now, which is in a very positive way. Exactly. Because you can run now as a socialist and get elected by the majority, and they're looking for, um, I mean, we look at Obamacare, okay, Obamacare. And when the Republicans were looking to get rid of it, over half the people that were questioned didn't like that because why? Because they were going to, quote, lose off of that. Look, these days, there is essentially no distinction between what the left calls morality and redistribution ideals. Meaning, hey, all else being equal, given my understanding of the state of government today, I recognize that part of what government is doing, unfortunately, is is, is sh- shifting money around. If that's the case, I want as much of it as I can get. I want, to, Frankly, I just want to keep my own. But in any event, I want, people want as much of it as they can get. So they tell you, you're taking away a benefit I can get that I want. That's immoral. They've equated the two entirely. Yep. It's about what I get. Look, I'm not against helping people. Uh, and I do see a role for government to maintain a minimum safety net. But as conservatives, we generally think that's far less than the left does because the left doesn't view it as a safety net. They view it as equalization. It's not equality of opportunity. It's equality of outcome. So I don't view the world that way. Hey, there are plenty of people richer than I am. And I don't believe that they owe me something. I'm not envious of them. Envy is a sin, and I'm not envious of them. That's the problem, is that those on the left are envious of what others have. They covet their neighbor's property, and they and they use government to take it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wrong. I'm with you. It's All just right. wrong. When we come back, I'll tie this over to Trump. All right, we're going to do that when we come back. It's Dave Ellswick show. It's about nine minutes until five. Let's get a break in and then we'll get back and wrap up this hour. Next hour, we'll be joined by Conduit News and we're going to talk about taxes and when is when is a, a, a cut in taxes, not really a cut in taxes. We'll talk about that. That's all coming up next hour, but we've got more to talk about this hour, about this whole thing about socialism here on the Dave Ellswick show. All right, we're back with you. I'll talk to you about that during news. I'm going to, I'm going to have uh, I'm going to ask Robert to fill in for me on Christmas Eve because we're we're off that day. Or I take it back New Year's Eve. New Year's, okay. Yeah, sure. So you come in yeah. for me. I'm not off New Year's Eve, and I and I've got to I got to work at uh, of getting drunk early. No, I'm just kidding. See, it takes people. They got if somebody had just turned into my show today for the first time. They think that I'm some boozer or something, man. And your point is what, Dave? Yeah. The point my is that my you're point not. is <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Yes, I'm you're joking. right. That, that yeah. was asked just exactly like a, a newspaper man would ask that question. Exactly. It's exactly. like beating your wife. When did you stop? Well, uh, uh, anyway. can, can I tell your audience, Dave, by the way, yeah. how generous you were? You had me over for Thanksgiving. Dave was not drinking at all, by the way. But in any event. I don't typically yeah, drink. Yeah, Dave's not a drinker. You can tell that he's I not. I got away not. from it. Did you get, is that why? Oh, yeah, to, I, yeah, well, here, yeah. I'll tell the story. Yeah. I, I, I don't tell it very often. I used to drink heavy. I see. Yeah. Really heavy yeah. when I was in college. And, uh, in fact, my uh, roommate, we shared a, uh, a double wide together. 
we'd get up in the morning and uh, get some. We had a, a fifth of Canadian uh, mist, and then we have a case of beer. Typically, we didn't have all that once, but we do a couple of shots, and we'd have a couple of beers just to take the edge off, is what we said. Wow! And then we'd go to class. Wow! And uh, we did. We were doing that all the time, and except that it started becoming four shots and six yeah, beers right, and right. and stuff like that and uh, i got up one day and we had forgotten to go to a liquor store we had to go all 35 miles away because we were in a dry county and my hands were shaking wow and i suddenly d- knew that i had a problem i got a problem right and so i stopped cold right. turkey Good for you. done Good for you yeah quit quit drinking uh now since that time i'll be honest i'll have a beer once in yeah, a while sure you sure. know I had uh, last night went out with some friends to uh, senior tequilas, and I had uh, um, an amber uh, beer. I had a dark beer, enjoyed it, and uh, but I had a small one. Didn't have yeah. a big one. I had a small yeah. one. I just I don't drink all that. Much. Yeah, no, I noticed. Bottom line, when I was at your house, you were not. Uh, I, I don't even drink yeah. wine for the most part, and yeah. there's some wines I really like. Yeah, Lambrusco. And it gets difficult when you got a big old bottle of Lambrusco. Yeah. I'm not yeah. just kidding. Now, bottom line is, is I just, you know, I, I gave that part of my life up, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, if, if you start to feel it go too far one way, you got to pull it back. Well, you better. It, that's right. You better. That's exactly right. Because if you don't, you'll end up with, like my, my buddy did. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on in his life, he had a real war yeah. with alcohol. Now yeah. he, he doesn't drink anymore. Yeah. You yeah. know, and Paul's doing really, really well. Right, right. He's my little brother. Yeah. You know, in fraternity. He's right, a great guy. Right, right. Bottom line, any of that stuff. I mean, the people who want to see marijuana legalized, I understand. All right, mm-hmm. I do. I understand. I used to smoke it when I was in college and whatnot. Uh, if you want to go anywhere, though, you're going to cut back on that or you're going to quit it. That's right. Because it will take away your drive. That's right. I'm just telling you, it will take away your drive. And, in fact, they're finding now that there is some uh problems with people becoming addicted yeah. to marijuana yeah 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 uh even if it's not a chemical addiction right no. there's, uh, there's this other physiological. type of, right there's a mental addiction physiological whatever the case may be so we just have to be careful with all of these things and and friends and family have to help and monitor and say hey wait you know yeah yeah but you've got to say it first yeah i agree i agree that's the first yep. thing you've got to admit it all right look uh, conduit news will be next next time i have uh Robert, on we'll get back on this whole socialism thing. Yeah. It's just so important. We need to get away from it, not continue to run towards it. That's right. The more we run towards it in this country, the less of the country we are, we cease to become. Back with more in just a moment. Here we go. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. And our good friends from up in northwest Arkansas are with us from uh, Conduit News conduitnews.com is their website and brenda and joe are here good to have them uh, with us robert steinbach is here and and i we want to talk about something uh that has a serious serious uh story to it that you need to take a grip on and that is we hear about tax cuts that are going on uh with uh, our our state government and there have been some state tax cuts however when you hear that know to have that tax cut that's coming out of the right pocket of the government the state government 
they are raising taxes on other things to get the money to put into the right pocket. So they're kind of like taking out of the left pocket, putting it in the right pocket. And that's why you continue to see in stories on, excuse me, stories on in the newspaper and you hear us talk about it here on on the show that you keep hearing tax cuts, but you keep seeing that the amount of money that the government is getting is higher and higher and higher every year. I mean, if you're cutting taxes that wonderfully, you would think that the amount of money that you have to spend would sooner or later go down. So we want to talk a little bit about this because there's misdirection going on. Uh, This is a magic trick. Watch my hand over here so you don't see what I'm doing with my hand over here. Watch my right hand, not my left hand. They had a magician at Joe's Garage's uh, 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 Christmas party Saturday night that I went to. And you guys will like this. So you may use this illustration if you would like, uh, Brenda and Joe. Here's what he said. How do you do? He, he took out a, a red handkerchief, and he took the handkerchief, and he stuffed it into, uh, uh, and he took a, um, an egg, and he had it in his hand, and uh, you didn't know it was there, but they, he stuffed the handkerchief in there. And then he said, see, the handkerchief's gone, and I have this egg. And so he explained that here's what you do. You get this egg, and you carve a hole in the side of it, you blow out all the stuff inside, clean it out real good, and then you put that in your hand, and he says, of course, your hand looks a little contorted. Make sure you have nobody in back of you so they can't see what's in your hand, and it's got a hole in it. So while you're doing that, you hold up the red handkerchief, and you shake it, and everybody's watching you shake the red handkerchief, and they don't pay attention to the other hand, which has the egg in it uh, with the hole in it. And then you start saying, now, I'm going to stuff this handkerchief into my hand. And you start pushing it into the hole of the shell of the egg that you have hidden from them. And then you go, voila, and you've covered up the hole with your hand, and the handkerchief is in the egg. Now, also before before this... You put an egg in your other pocket of your jacket and another handkerchief. So you put the egg in your like in your pocket and you pull out the handkerchief, right? And you say, "See, blah 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 blah." Oh, you go, "Oh, you think that I I pulled a fast one? Well, let me grab the egg." So now you pull out the real egg, and you get a glass and you crack it and you pour the egg in there and voila. All that misdirection makes everybody think that they had seen something that didn't happen at all. And that's kind of what's going on with taxes in the state of Arkansas. They're telling you they're cutting taxes, but they really aren't. But they're waving their hand over here and saying, see, we gave you a tax decrease. But they don't show you that they stuck all of that in an egg and they had already another taxes being raised so that they could uh, pay for what they they took. They didn't cut government. They didn't reduce taxes. All they did is move it around with sleight of hand. How's that for you guys? Sounds uh, familiar. (laughs) I would say that, you know, we, we have to constantly, without tiring, teach people 
what a tax cut is, you know, the meaning of a tax cut. And I would say that we simply reinforce the idea that a tax cut equals a revenue decrease. You know, Arkansas's Revenue Stabilization Act requires or, or it's claimed that we spend all that comes in. If you spend all that comes in and, and we have a tax cut, it means that we've reduced the revenue. If you don't have a reduction in revenue, you can't have a tax cut. Yeah, it's all carefully crafted language. That's the magic. Yeah, it's, it's all slight, really it's sleight of hand. Of what say. Yeah, it's all sleight of hand, except that they use words instead of waving something that you want the people to look at. You want them to hear something, and yet what they hear they assume means this, when in fact it means something entirely different to them. Well, we have a lot of experience in that, and it started in 2013 when our uh, Republican legislators were trying to convince the people that Medicaid expansion in Arkansas, private option, was not Obamacare, and it was not uh, Medicaid expansion. The private option is not Medicaid expansion. It's not Obamacare. And we spent the next two years educating the public, and, uh, you know, finally, I think it's without a doubt, even though the liberals would print it in the paper, the conservatives or the Republicans would refuse to admit it, but everyone knows the private option, Arkansas Works, is Medicaid expansion. You know, that is Obamacare. Tax cut is a reduction in revenue. I mean, those are the same kinds of positions that we have to teach the public. Now, what I will add to that is, and I agree, a tax cut is taking less money in. Shifting it around is not a tax cut. But there are reasons to change how we tax, even if we don't have a tax cut. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have a tax cut. I believe we as Arkansans and we as Americans as a general matter pay far too much in taxes. And when people say to me, oh, but we have all these other things that go on, all these needs unmet, my response is there are always needs unmet. Uh, so uh, I think we should have a cut in taxes. But I also think we should have a wider tax base. Now, not all of these cherry-picking forms of different taxes that we get stuck with that are hidden. Oh, I go fill up my car, I'm paying taxes. I go to the supermarket, I pay different kind of taxes. I go home to my house and I look at my property on which I pay taxes. I drive in my car that I pay another tax on. So it's this, this pile and pile of hidden taxes that we receive that I believe in and of itself is problematic. If people really knew how much money they paid in taxes, if you got one bill at the end of the year and you had to write a check, you never had any other taxes, you had no sales taxes, car taxes, gas taxes, food taxes, nothing. And you had to write a check to the government and all the different forms of government could split it up like a a gang of angry, hungry hounds. Uh, (laughs) You would be aware of how much you are getting taken or being run through the ring. Um, so I do think there is something to sp- to clarifying, simplifying, and equalizing uh, tax burdens in addition to reducing taxes. Well, it's really all it begins with what how you define the role of government. Oh, of course. Well, the government is to help those it thinks needs help and take from those who are doing well then that, that's one whole direction you take. But if it's you know, to protect our rights from foreign invasion in between the states, then that's a different, that's the opposite view. Look so, at all the crime in, in Arkansas yeah. going unaddressed or, or not. 
Right, right. So, you know, you've got to first start with what is the what is the proper role of government, and nobody starts there anymore. Just for example, like this Medicaid expansion, you know, that's not something that anyone's going to talk about of repealing that anymore. That that ship sailed, evidently, and the Republicans pushed it off the dock. So we're paying the piper for things that conduit educated people about even in the legislature in 2013 on we're paying the piper now and let me give you one example since they control all the numbers you can you know you have to kind of guess at which numbers that they you know throw out there that you want to use but let's start with uncompensated care that's the problem for hospitals yeah the hospitals were going to go broke close their doors because of all these people showing up, getting services, and walking out the door without paying. Okay. Well, that number arguably is somewhere between $180 million a year and $400 million a year, depending on who you talk to and when you talk to them. So let's, let's take the higher number. All right, if uncompensated care cost us $400 million a year in Arkansas, and we solved it with a $2.5 billion program, uh, now we're, our share is going to start approaching $400 million just for our share of that program. So if you got rid of Medicaid expansion and just paid for the uncompensated care, we're, we're even, and we've saved $2 billion. But there's so nothing I, I like a big government fantasy. program to spend more money to solve a small problem. Don't you know how government works? Why fix something That's for how a they dollar? Grow. Right. Why fix something for a dollar when you can fix a dollar's worth of problems for a hundred? That's the way government well, well, that's works. Not, that's like it's you know, not your money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, I guess some of us could probably live with that, like the military. You know, they, <laughs> right. they waste a lot of money, but I don't care if it costs you know five hundred dollars to do a hundred dollar job if it saves our, uh, an American's life, uh, you know, from a foreign invasion or what have you. But the thing about it is, has been proven by if you've read a newspaper in the last two years, is that people are take this extra money that's being that's over and above what it should truly cost and they're enriching themselves mm-hmm. or their friends right because there's too much money being poured at the solution that's right and, and with all that money floating around and that that you have control over you can certainly have influence and sell that influence which has been proven time and time again in little rock yeah, here's so what's a, our go ahead, here, Brandon. guys. You know, we we've identified the fact that Arkansas is an overtaxed state. Almost every time we've talked in the last several weeks, you know, where do we offer solutions for this? I mean, I would propose that the legislature in this session proves they're interested in doing their job. I mean, I'm contemplating the Senate and the job that they've done and what's on the horizon. And I would say, you know, those guys look like a lame duck Senate. You know, Joe says... Yeah, it's, it's, it's lame something else. But <laughs> You know, but we, we know that looking at the House last session, two years ago, they stepped up and they blocked two different tax increases that were just on the verge of passing. Yeah, the and roads you know, tax and the, the, uh, the Internet tax. Yes. Go House, go. go. Go House, go. And so, listeners, I mean, we need to put pressure and support at the same time on our House and our Senate to stop the tax already. You know, enough already, guys. 
enough already. Yeah. I know that we've got this huge debt we've got to figure out how to pay, but um, the people, you know, the people didn't ask for this. Yes, it's really strange that if you've read a newspaper over the past couple of um, five years or seen anything on television about the Arkansas legislature, which reports critically about Republicans more than not. I mean, if you, if you ask any of the Democrats or you ask the media, which is pretty much the same thing, what, as far as financially goes, what has been done that they oppose? Or what has not been done that they are for? I mean, get rid of the social issues, the, you know, the uh, abortion and guns and religion and all those things. Get rid of, put those aside. And financially, what do, does the newspaper or the television or the Democrats complain that's not being done? Because it seems to me like their agenda is being played out with a vast majority Republican majority. Well, here, here, can, can I jump in just to say that because I believe that the average voter knows more about how they feel about social issues than how they feel about economic issues because they don't have enough knowledge about the economy to understand what the other side's doing to them. Well, I would argue, though, that if you have the less money you have, the less choices you have. And, and once you have a, a level of choice that that is that low, you have no choice on these other issues. If, if you can't afford to buy a gun or bullets, it doesn't matter if you got the right to carry or not. If if you can't afford to to fight the Supreme Court or or any courts about the rulings on on churches, it doesn't matter because they're going to do whatever they want because you don't have the economic power to fight them. And the same with abortion, you know, if they if they can do an ad campaign and you can't, then you're going to lose it, too, eventually. So if you if you don't have economic freedom, you, you don't have any of these other freedoms. All right. I got I got to I got to jump in. We got to take a break. I'm being told break now. So let's break and then come back. And Brenda, I'll come right to you when we return. We got the folks from Conduit News on with us today, Brenda and Joe Conduit News Dot com. That's where you go to read their articles, conduitnews.com. All right, back with you here at the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Joe and Brenda are with us from Conduit News. Conduitnews.com is their website. Great articles there. We're kind of talking about one uh, that they wrote, I think, Friday, and there's several others that have been added since this time, so you got a lot of new material uh, to peruse. But go to conduitnews.com. And now, Brenda, you had something you were wanting to get into, so let me bring it back to you. Are you back? Are you there, Brenda? I'm sorry. Now, Can you hear me now? I hear you now. Gotcha. Okay, I was going to mention something you you communicated to us earlier in the day, and that's the white elephant in the room, that being the education K through twelve in Arkansas, the level of education that our our young people are leaving school, and and then their ability to think. I mean, if we're going to be looking at helping people think and read, as I heard, you know, one, um, what is it, the cars, if you do auto car, you sell sell your car, donate to this group, and they'll teach 
young people how to think and read. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that those are now the benchmarks that we're trying to accomplish. How can we expect them to go to the voting booth and understand the negatives of voting in more casinos or a minimum wage increase of $11 an hour? Now, I think the, the, the place that we start at is very simple, is that we move, uh, you know, the... Um, I was talking about this today with Carl Kimball, and and that being that what I was taught in economics and in political science and American history is I'm just going to tell everybody just what I believe, and that is it's totally opposite now to when I was in school. When I was in school, I know you guys can't see me, but just kind of visualize this. When we talked about capitalism in economics, we talked about it when it was way up here. And then it was the greatest thing since, uh, you know, canned beer. When we talked about socialism, it was about three-quarters of the way down from capitalism, and communism was flat as a pancake at the very bottom. Now it is socialism has moved up considerably. Capitalism is lower than socialism, and communism, for the most part, is still as flat uh, as a pancake. And that is, for my my view— is because of what the public school system teaches about the economy if they teach something about the econ- uh, about economics in, in general. Because I found that most high schools decided that economics wasn't important to teach. Well, you've got to also now look at uh, what, we've, what we've produced as far as teachers and what they learned, and they've learned nothing but socialism coming out of the universities at any level, and so we have matured into the end product. Yeah, I agree, and um, we're going we're gonna to hold our thoughts. we got to get to the news. We're going to come back, and you're up again Bre- with us, Brenda. All right, we are back for the final half hour. Brenda was making a point dealing with education, something that uh, I've talked about extensively here. This is not happening just by chance. I want to make everybody for sure that they understand that this is the case. It's happening because the people that are populating our schools have been taught a doctrine in college, and they've brought it to the public school systems for your kids, and now they're being indoctrinated. Uh, Let's turn it over uh, to Brenda. Go ahead, Brenda. Well, you you ended the segment with saying, hey, save that thought. Joe said you better write it down. (laughs) (laughs) He knows how easy it is to think of something else. But I guess I concluded it with – you know, dumbing down on steroids is when you top, top off lack of knowledge or ignorance, really, with a socialist worldview. I mean, we not only have people who no longer are able to think and read and, and add and remember what they read and added, but now with an with a incorrect worldview, I mean, you have an audience now that can be led to, you know, most anything you direct. And that's, that's where we are uh, I can say that's where we are in Arkansas because that's where our universities are teaching. That's the teachers they're producing because that's what they're producing everywhere. I'm with you guys. I mean, seriously. Uh, and and the thing that drives me crazy about this is that the parents don't do anything about it. They know there's something wrong. They can see it in front of their eyes, and yet you couldn't pay them enough money to show up at a school board meeting and say, stop this insanity. 
Well, I think that, you know, once you get someone to the college level uh, and you pay the kind of money that we charge these students, shamefully charge these students in our public colleges, and it's sort of like voting for your senator and your senator comes and tells you what he's doing, you know, it's hard to doubt something that costs that much. I mean, you just don't want to believe it, you know? And, you know, you'll, a senator is telling you how good it is. You just don't want to dis, you know, give him the disrespect of not believing. We want to believe we get our money's worth. Yeah, it's, it's I'm, you know. School choice. I mean, school choice at all levels would be an ideal solution. But we're going the opposite direction, it seems. I mean, how much, how many private universities uh, have been bought up by the University of Arkansas system? eventually there'll only be one university choice in reality that you can go to in Arkansas. And what do you think is going to happen then? So school choice is, is something that the Republicans have talked about forever. And they they never have produced anything except failure. Well, and you, would, you were talking about the Democrats and the educational system. I mean, we do have an entrenched... Uh, big government mentality in the local schools and you know like they say well government's local schools are local you're trying to kill our community you're trying to close our hospitals I mean get the government out of our lives please I mean what's the problem with school choice the, the best choice wins who says schools have to be as big as they are and and as fancy as some of them are well who I, says that I I go I'll go right along with what you just said the people who say it are the educators themselves that's right. And, and, and government. Well, the you ones know. that are costing so much uh, money in the system is administration. I mean, you can look at, you know, administrators to students and see that it, it's mind-boggling when you look at those numbers. Yeah, we did that, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. We, we plotted out the, I think, 10 or 20-year uh, history of uh, student-to-administrator to teacher relationships, and it was eye-opening when you see it on a chart of how high and how steep the curve was in the past decade of administration costs versus uh, uh, teacher costs. I mean, the teacher cost has remained relatively stable. It, it, it's increased slightly. The administrator cost looked like a hockey stick. Yeah, oh, we've sure. seen it at the university level uh, across the country. If you looked, the rise, the single largest rise in expenditure uh, as a percentage of its previous uh, expenditure is administration. And then you talk to administrators and say, oh, but we're really not that big a portion of the budget. Yeah, but you've doubled in size. And each of you make somewhere between a quarter million and almost a million dollars, sometimes more, a year. And so we're paying in Arkansas. In Arkansas, we pay administrators at the university level uh, upwards of over a quarter of a million dollars in salary a year alone. And the numbers of administrators is going up every year. Do we really need more administrators? And I don't care what university it is, what campus it is, and you see it across the country, and you see it in our state. So when we're trying to conserve money and better our education, that's not the way to do it. And and that's why we need more legislators and the uh, executive offices 
looking at how the money is actually being spent because we don't need more administrators. None of the schools in this country need more administrators. They need a much lower student-to-faculty ratio. So if you want to put money into something, hire more teachers, hire good teachers, and pay them a decent wage, which they often do. I'm not saying that not always paid okay, but There's no professor at all that's making a quarter of a million dollars or more uh, in the local schools uh, in Arkansas uh, if that's what the administrators are making. And the administrators are always making more than the faculty, and they teach less if not at all. Sometimes many of them don't teach at all. It's, uh, it just boggles my mind how administrations grow like a, um, uh, you know, it's like kudzu. It just keeps growing and growing, and we need to weed it. We need to clean it out. It's, it's very similar to government is they grow into areas that they have no business being in. I mean, they probably have an administrator for safe space. Uh, you know, re- reconciliation. Oh, absolutely. And they're doing so many of the things that they shouldn't be doing at all. As a university, they should be teaching things that the nation needs, clearly needs, uh, not uh, you know, middle Middle Eastern studies from you know the Mesopotamian era. Uh, you know, the, all these <laughs> kinds of things that they're teaching. You know, gender studies. Uh, you get a degree in that, and what do you got? You got a, you got a sixty thousand dollar debt. And, and no prospects for employment. And these are the things that need to be eliminated in government, which school and government, in my mind, are relatively similar because I, I don't believe the Constitution calls for the government to have a monopoly on schools. But until whoever's in our government, whether it be the schools, the, the whatever, the, the cities, the counties, until they are willing to say no to more money, more government money from another government, we're going to keep having a bigger problem because these administrators will tell you, well, we have to do that. We have to bring in a teacher for each one of these uh, labeled children, one person per student, and that adds, you know, that's required of us now or we won't get this government funding. If we never say no to more government dollars, Charlie Collins, then we are going to continue to see whatever problem we want to discuss on the show increase. I agree. There is a a large uh, area of uh, vacuum uh, with the people of Arkansas, and they're knowing their responsibility for the education of their own children because they think that their school uh, system, their school board, would never do anything that would teach their children what they don't teach them at home. And that is, you know, it's, it's, it's ignorance. It's like, it's like saying that the people that are out there when they vote, they, they tell everybody how bad the uh, representatives are in Mississippi, but the ones that are here in Arkansas are, are, are great, and they've all voted the same way. I'm just saying what's close to home You tend to just accept it, and people got to get beyond accepting anything now that has put a third person between them and their school. And the state government gets in between, 
the administrators get in between and until the people rise up and say enough of this crap it's going to get worse well i think like so many other things in this country at this moment the the left agenda is becoming exposed to such a degree that there's going to be a reckoning and the reason that they they know this is because these even the school systems and I'll bet you most people listening would agree that they get less and less information about what their student is being taught in the K through 12 even because all the tests are online you can't see the study materials you can't see the test or the questions or the result all you can see is the the percentage they got right or wrong. Yeah, but the, Joe put out quite a bit of effort. Joe, the only reason, but that's it. Taught. You got to put it's out all done online, uh, and and they've done it that way to to hide it because they can't hide it anymore. If you can see it, but, if and, you can see their homework, they'd be exposed. But Joe, would you agree with me that the only reason they're still not seeing it is they're tr- because they're trying to hide it is because the people who need to see it aren't demanding to see it. If they start uh, taking up uh, school board members and making that position just as important as a presidential election, which I think it is, bottom line, the same stuff will continue to go on until the parents say enough is enough and start throwing people out of office firing superintendents and doing what's necessary, this will not stop. Well, I think what you're going to see, though, is legislators, for the most part, not all, but mostly, would rather be elected than to conf- to fight this battle. Like, like, same with taxes. They'd rather be elected because they're going to be so unpopular with the donor class and, and their, what, what feathers their nest uh, because that's the only thing that can get them reelected. So they're more, more interested in being in office than doing what they promised. Obviously, I, I'm not going to have the opportunity to be a mother again, but when I was raising my children, the idea of someone else putting their worldview into my children was something that I just could not bear. And so homeschooling, when I learned about homeschooling, it was a wonderful thing. And, you know, did my family, my husband and I, did my children sacrifice for me to do that rather than practice law full-time? Absolutely. And I would just praise Jerry Cox and all the groups that have worked hard to uh, grow homeschooling in this state. And, you know, you can go and fight the school board. You can do whatever, as people should, and they should be involved. But your children are only with you. You only have a short moment to get into their little minds and to keep them away from certain things. And I just really admire those who sacrifice to homeschool their children. And like I tell my kids now, now you're one of the few who know what you know. And, uh, you know, I don't know how big that group is now, but... You know, I know you hear from them probably, Dave, but I don't get to talk to homeschooling groups, but I do appreciate them and applaud, and I think we need to make our legislators mindful that that group needs to grow, not shrink. All right, we've got to take our final break. Let's do that, then we'll come and wrap it up. We'll come back and wrap it up in a moment. We've got Brendan Joe, of course, from Northwest Arkansas, ConduitNews.com. Again, ConduitNews.com is their website, Robert Steinbach, who is a a law professor at UALR, uh, lets you know that his opinions are his and his alone. And then me, Dave Ellswick, I'm just somebody who stirs the pot all the time. We'll be back with you in a moment. All right, we've got about eight minutes remaining here with Brendan and Joe from Conduit News. 
conduitnews.com, their website. Read all of the stories. We've just basically touched base when we've talked about uh, the whole thing dealing with Medicaid and talking about also uh, taxes and how when they say they're lowering taxes in other areas, they're raising taxes and things of that nature. In fact, uh, Robert, I can say without a doubt that uh, they're they're going to cut maybe a little bit more taxes, but they're they know they got more money coming in because they're going to get this whole internet tax going and flowing, and then they're going to run a a tax bill and let and quote let the people decide uh, what they want to do with uh, where they fix the the roads and things of that nature, and do you want to? spend this money and how do you want us to take it from you <laughs> to be able to pay for it uh do you think is it the internet tax that'd be the big one that they'll 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 jump on first do you believe joe i think it'll be the first days of the session okay because that's a lot of money sitting out there well like i say many times if the republicans would sit on their hands and do nothing the free market would reduce the size of government for them. They wouldn't have to take any blame. But they're fighting, just like the progressives that they are, for more government growth or, or, or no shrinking at all. They're, they would fight that tooth and nail. And by nature of that, it continues to grow. I mean, if you if you even, you know... Yeah, if, I mean, it's not even like if they just be quiet and, and uh, you know, they, they would, there'd be no Internet tax then revenue to the government would go down. But they're fighting tooth and nail to promote it. And they and they call themselves conservatives. It's 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 beyond my comprehension. It's fairness, Joe. Fairness. Yeah, it's nothing to do with fairness. <laughs> you know, it's, it's everything to do with them. That fairness is just a convenient argument for the ill informed to get their way and and not have to suffer the consequences for not being fiscally conservative people. I mean, if people don't believe us, they should just go online and, and research or Google, if you will, as much as I hate doing that, uh, but research who supports the Internet sales tax, and they will see that it's these government agencies and you know large corporations who care about the brick-and-mortar little guy, sure, Walmart. I mean, they are wanting bigger government, uh, government lobbying for bigger government, and then these companies are trying to get rid of the small guy uh, or you know, and because he's not going to be able to keep up with a ninety billion different tax codes that he'll have to account for, and and if you don't believe us, research it yourself. Yeah, I always thought it was laughable that Walmart is supporting this internet tax, and they're on the other hand, the argument is it protects the small brick and mortar business. Well, Walmart's destroyed. And I, I, I believe it's fair that they've put so many small brick-and-mortar businesses out, out, of, out of business uh, in the hist- more than the history of the world. And now they're, they're supposed to be the champion for them? I mean, give me a break. All right, so let me, let me jump in. I understand that you all have a uh, big announcement to make about Conduit News. Well, it's not big, but it's irritating, and that's why I like to publicize it. We're, we're having our, our annual conduit meeting up here, uh, the principals up here in Fayetteville uh, this next weekend. Uh, we'll be doing our planning for our, our annual uh, legislative scorecards, right. our annual Coolidge Award winners, which I think you're familiar with, mm-hmm. and just get the uh, word out there so that the establishment Republicans can start attacking this top score 
people on our conduit awards. As they did this past election. As yeah. they did this past election. Yeah. So I, I don't know if anybody even wants an award anymore because then the, the establishment will come after them to try to get them primaried. Well, but we'll try to break as many eggs during that magic trick as possible. Yeah, well, that's the case. The weekly scorecards. That, that sure. We have had so much positive feedback on that. We're gonna we're gonna ramp that up again this year. All right. We're sending out our uh, our summary of the year letter this week, and we'll send you one, Dave. And Joe and I don't sit around and think about what all conduit has accomplished in a year, and you know, we put this thing together. Just to see to go, you know, add two million more listeners to what we what we produce is pretty amazing. You know, you go from four to six million people that you touch in a year, and uh, I mean, no wonder. I mean, as we look at these things, Dave, we can see why we've gotten so much pushback by the uh, the leadership in Little Rock. Yeah, you well. know, between me and you, uh, us and and you, uh, we're the only people pushing back against. More tax. Pseudo-Republicans. Well, they need to be pushed back on. It's important for the people to understand they have such an active role in the government, from their city governments to their county governments to their school boards, and on up to the very top here of of your state government to Washington, D.C. You must be... Uh, adamant about fighting against what's going on that's wrong so that it can be stopped because if you don't stand they're going to just steamroll all this stuff through yeah it's amazing to me uh, you know it's kind of sad because arkansas people and we, we've talked to a lot of them we just we've just spent some time over northeast arkansas but you know people are smart and, and they understand if they'll just pay attention and be consistent and if Arkansas voted overwhelmingly for Trump, but then voted for a minimum wage hike, those two things don't go in the same person. That's right. It doesn't seem so. Uh, you know, so if people are not paying attention and reacting more emotionally to issues, and they're been being driven by the media and the legislature and, and the elected officials, uh, they, they need to spend a little bit more time thinking about what they really want from government and be consistent on their voting and talking to their neighbors about what it is that they want. But I heard a quote from Margaret Thatcher this morning, you know, you first win the debate, then you win the vote. And so I, I try to encourage our group not to be discouraged. You know, we have the right information. We should be winning the debate. And eventually being consistent with that, I believe in Arkansas we can win the vote. Well, but nobody will debate. All they'll do is call us liars and they'll never point out one. But All right. Dave's going to tell everybody, hey, they won't debate you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah All right. Let's debate. Let's bring it. State, I got to let you all go for another week. We'll be back with you again next uh, next Monday. Appreciate your time. Conduitnews.com. Make it a place to go each day to see what new stories that they've published. Joe, Brenda, thanks so much for the time. We will see you again Monday. Well, Thank bye, you, Robert. Robert. Dave. Bye-bye now. All right. Robert Steinbach here. Remember, his opinions are his and his alone. Since you didn't get to come on uh, today, let's talk about some other time you can come on this week. Okay. We'll so get we get you back on. Yeah, All right. We'll do it. Oh, he's going to fill in on uh, New Year's Eve, too. So uh, that would drive you to drink for sure. All right. So we'll, be, we'll have more Amen. here on the Dave Ellswick Show tomorrow. 2 o'clock. It's the power panel. Don't miss it. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.